Welcome to Guys We Fucked. <laughs> guys We Fucked. Guys We Fucked. I'm Christina. I'm Corinne. We're sorry, sorry about, about last, last night. night. The anti slut shaming podcast. <laughs> I never stop. <laughs> Hey, fuckers, welcome to another episode of Guys We Fucked. It's the anti-slut-shaming podcast. I'm Corinne. I'm Christina. Mm. Ugh. Well, this is, uh, we have a very exciting thing to tell you, so we're just going to power through. What an exciting episode. Even I'm excited. I'm I'm like, I'm not nervous, but I'm very... You know what that takes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in the meantime, while you're on the edge of your seats, don't fast forward because we have some shit to tell you. Uh, come see us live on Friday, March 17th. Yes, that is St. Patrick's Day, and I'm just as unexcited about it as you are. Come see Nacho Bitches with me and Blair Saki at New York Comedy Club. Uh, use code nacho for ten dollar tickets it's eleven fifteen p.m and if you are a sloppy drunk i will personally kick you out thanks friday march 24th wendy starling and i co-host the march edition of glamour puss at zinc bar in the west village 82 west third street 7 30 p.m is the showtime uh tickets are 15 bucks you have to be 21 and up and the link for tickets is in the description of this podcast dallas texas on wednesday march 8th we are going to be at the improv yes that's next week come we're we're, we're ticket sales are great but they're not great enough because there's still tickets left. We haven't sold out yet, you guys. <laughs> We're monsters. <laughs> Salt Lake City, you got Mormons. You're also going to get a little dose of Corinne and Christina Thursday, March 9th at Wise Guys. You should come. It's going to be really fun. We're going to do the Guys Who Fucked Experience show and it's going to change your life. Yay! Uh, and if you guys want more Guys We Fucked, you can sign up for Howl. We just did a really awesome bonus episode where if you remember last year, we all went and saw Fifty Shades of Grey and then this year, we didn't want to take anything away from you. So we saw Fifty Shades Darker. But if you want to listen to that recap, you got to sign up for Howl. Oops. Motherfucker. <laughs> we went to the movie theater at 11.30 a.m. A.m. Yes. On a weekday? On a weekday. And was commitment. Yes. We were not the only ones there. <laughs> <laughs> I said I wasn't going to. I'm always comfortable going to the movies alone. But I was like, Christina, you have to come with me because I don't want to be the girl at 11.20 a.m. on a Fifty Shades day. Darker by herself. Eating an Egg McMuffin <laughs> by myself, which I did, but I just did it with someone else. I gotta Christina. say, that movie made me a little horny. Anyway, <laughs> if you want to listen to what we have to say about that, and we have so many other bonus episodes in which I get stoned. Yeah. We read uh, listener not hate mail, but like, this is what you're doing wrong. Sometimes we just play music on Spotify that we like. <laughs> Sometimes I sing um, throwback songs like, I was going to clean my room. Oh, then I got that's high. Right. You did do that. Ooh. Anyway, it's really, it's a fun time. It's, uh, it's, it's guys we fucked unleashed. So if you want to sign up for that, you go to howl.fm slash GWF. And uh, we're going to read a couple ads. <laughs> what? Unleashed makes it sound like, like we're showing our boobies. <laughs> we are, but you can't unleashed. see it. You can hear it. You we can should. hear the boob flop against the mic. And if that doesn't give you a boner, I can't help you. That Sorry. would be funny if we did like an audio girls gone wild. <laughs> That's the suckiest you porn. Ju- you ever. just hear our shirts coming up. It's just like cloth and, rustling against the mic. And you hear the the beer splashing on the titties. <laughs> and we're like, oh my God, it's so cold. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, we're going to read a couple ads for you. And uh, Mineral is uh, wanting us to ask you to do a listener survey. So that's what we're doing. We do what we're told, not all the time, but um, in order to get, yeah, we need your help. So please, if you want, you can go to podsurvey.com slash DWF. If you've already taken the survey, first of all, thank you for like doing that. We really appreciate it. 
second of all, it's a different survey this time. So like, if you want to do it again, you should, um, you can enter to win a hundred dollar Amazon gift card and you'll That's make pretty cool. You'll, you'll, you'll make me happy. Yeah. Cause and you're probably going to win the gift card. Cause you know, like one person is going to do this. <laughs> wow. You got a lot of time in your hands. Um, no, seriously. Uh, again, that's uh, podsurvey.com slash G W F, uh, pod survey spelled P O D S U R V E Y. They asked me to spell it out, but I know you're better than that guys, <laughs> but thanks for your help. We appreciate it. Absolutely. And thanks so much to our sponsor for today's episode lift. Oh, Oh, I love Lyft. I'm always lifting, lifting about. I love when that little pink mustache shows up to get me. I get so excited. Uh, You guys know about Lyft, right? It's the app that gets you a ride in minutes on demand 24-7 for less than the cost of a cab. If you've tried Lyft, you know what I mean. Just download the app, request a driver. They show up in an average of three and a half minutes. That's very fast. Every Lyft driver is fully vetted through their 10-point safety standard, including criminal and DMV background checks. You know you'll get around quickly and safely. Lyft drivers are rated after every ride, so only the best stick around. And if you don't like them, you can just give them a low rating and then they won't be matched up with you again. And that's pretty fun. Uh, With (laughs) Lyft, you can also tip in the app, which is obviously really great because you're helping everybody out. Uh, and nine out of 10 Lyft rides get a perfect five-star rating from the passenger. I feel like that's mostly so like the pas- the guy doesn't come to your house and beat the shit out of you, but that's just my personal. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'm just opinion. imagining you with a cigar in your apartment, like writing negative Lyft ads and like <laughs> masturbating to it. <laughs> oh my God. Right now, Lyft is offering guys, we fucked the listeners, three free rides up to $10 each. When you enter promo code GWFD, just download the free Lyft app and enter code GWFD in the payment section, and you'll start out with three free rides up to $10 each. Again, because you're going to tweet us about it. GWFD. Guys, we fuck drive. Bye. Do you know what else needs lifting? What? Titties! Did you know that women change bra sizes an average of six times in their lives? That's why finding the perfect bra uh, that fits you well can make all the difference. Thankfully, Third Love bras were developed using thousands of real women's booby measurements and ranges from sizes AA to G, including signature half cup sizes. Thank the fucking Lord, because I don't even know anything about the Lord, but seriously, it's great that they do half cup sizes. Can I do half an A? Yeah. Really? Oh, mm, maybe not. Almost A. Is that double A though? <laughs> no, no, no. Om- almost A. Like half an A. Is that what AA stands for? Between nothing and A. <laughs> uh, yes. I'm just, I don't know, but yes. So no matter what your body shape, even if you're a half A, you should have find the right fit. That's great for you. And with Third Love's Fit Finder, it only takes 30 seconds to determine the best size and style for your body. Third Love stands behind their products so much they're willing to let our listeners try their bra from their 24-7 collection for free. You just pay three bucks in shipping. Well, $2.99. I guess it's like a marketing thing. It's three fucking dollars, okay? Um, don't include that in the I don't know. Just kidding. Uh, you can even take the tags off, wear it, wash it, and really live in it for up to 30 days and make sure that it's your new favorite bra. If you love it, keep it and they'll charge your card. And if you don't, return it and your car will not be charged. So if you want to get in on this shit... Go to www.thirdlove.com slash GWF. That's third spelt out. T-H-I-R-D. Love.com slash GWF. Third love. Tits. Now for the moment you've all been waiting for. You didn't even know you were waiting for it. Did you ever think that you were about to say what you're about to say? Yes, all my life. Oh, well, good for you. This is the... (laughs) This is the only thing that I, that I knew I was definitely going to do. That's true. It's the only thing in my life. What? Guys. We wrote a book. Well, we're right. Yeah, we wrote it. We wrote a we book. We wrote it. We wrote we a book. We wrote a fuck 
fucking book, motherfucker. That is so weird. It's very weird. It's very exciting. My, I can't believe my it. My fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Stanko, wrote <laughs> in my yearbook, Corinne, I would like the first autographed copy of your book, of your first book. And I'm, I can't guarantee her the first copy, but I'm going to send Mrs. Stanko <laughs> what a copy a of the book. And she's going to be, I mean, may, perhaps a little turned off. <laughs> what it is really i don't know i don't know what she's gonna go well at least she's right no mrs Stanko was pretty chill <laughs> you know she has a kid she's had sex at least one time <laughs> so we know that hey miss Stanko, you shit mm. um yeah we're writing a book and it's uh we wrote a book we wrote a book we wrote it we're editing we it book. now that's crazy that's so weird yeah but this is it was an interesting process because we yeah by interesting we mean grueling almost so hard it's very hard. i di- <laughs> there was a period of time where i didn't sleep for probably five days I and drink, i went mentally ill i don't even drink coffee i drink so much coffee i now own a coffee machine whoa wow you're oh that's a that's a lot. That's you went from zero to hero real quick. Well, because uh, a friend who will go un- unnamed gave me an Adderall and I didn't I refused to take it because I was like, this is like if I was playing baseball and I started taking steroids. But I just having the Adderall in the case in front of me was the Adderall. Perfect. So you just that often. Yeah. Looking at it. And then I would kept fighting and I was like, I don't need you. I kept I looking at it and I said, I don't need you. I don't need you in my life. No more Adderall. God damn <laughs> well, it. Do you have problems focusing though? I do. Okay. I so can't maybe you have still. a little ADHD then. Because I don't think I have that. Oh, I do. I just have procrastination DHD. I mean, I have that too, but I it's hard for me to sit in one space. Anyway, this book, we, people have talked about to us about writing a book since the very for beginning. Many years. And it just didn't feel right. It's no, like, no. Oh, I, what the fuck do I have to say? I don't fucking know. They just wanted I'm to just like figuring this out myself. Yeah. They basically wanted like a supermarket porn. Yeah. And we were like, a fuck no. No, thank That's you. That's what we're going to give you. Because if we're going to write a book, we're going to write a great fucking book. Yeah. And uh, the I, trash we leave for this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. You guys know. <laughs> you fucking know. Um, but yeah, we had an outline all prepped, all, all planned out of what we were going to do with this book structure. And we were amped on it. And then we Very sat down. Polished. We sat down to write it. We're like, okay, let me look at this outline and then we expand upon it because that's how one writes a book. Nuh-uh-uh, not Corinna Christina. Yeah. We sat down and wrote this shit from our heart. We scrapped the outline completely. Well, it was more like we sat down with the outline and then we're like, "Mm, this seems boring. I don't want to write any of this. I I just started looking at the topics and I was like, I don't have anything to say about any of this. There was one day I remember on tour. I'm like, Corinne, I don't want to write about any of this shit. I want to write about like, butt stuff and like going to the ER yeah. and like from sex and and uh, yeah sexual adventures and stuff so that's what we ended up writing the well that was what my yeah. contribution basically was. we had this whole outline and we were gonna like both write the stuff about it and then we're we like, like nah. we need to stay up all night and only write portions at 4 a.m so we, then we just each kind of took a half of the book yeah and I ended up writing not a lot about sex. I was like, you know what? I don't really feel like talking about sex. I wrote about being a, a person mm. and self-confidence and trashy things that people say on the internet. Oh, love it. It and, was and not giving a shit and being your own woman and, and or man. It was like a little uh, Corinne's philosophy. Yeah, it's re- the point is. This is uh, we're very proud of this and we poured our heart and soul. It damn near this. killed us, guys. And we almost died. <laughs> 
Do you know that if you write a book, you almost die in your head because you're like, if I don't sleep, go another day without sleep, I'm going to murder someone. But uh, And also you kept it a secret this whole time. I'm so proud of you. I know. I, I mean, know that was difficult. People who came over and stuff, sometimes they knew, but I was like, don't say anything. I'll kill you. If they came over. You, well, because I had it. You would my... just like trip over all your work and be like, sorry. Oops. Those are my book pages. Messy what? in here. I'm writing a book. Don't tell anybody that I'm writing a book, <laughs> but I'm writing a book. You just have a big post-it to yourself. Write book. <laughs> I did. I, that's exactly what's on my office wall, actually. No, but it, I I started talking about things that I've I've I actually do not. I have never said on the podcast. Like I've yeah. got, I've di- it, it allowed me to dive into my past and my personal experiences with men, with Stephen, with uh, with getting uh, put in. It it. it it was such a cathartic, cool experience because I've never expanded upon all the shit that we've talked about on the podcast before. And uh, I'm so excited for everybody to read it. Yeah, it's nice to just sit down and write and like no one can say anything to you while you're saying what you feel. So even if people are like, oh, I'm offended, like it doesn't matter Yeah, because I already wrote it. I don't give a shit, yo. That's already printed. I'm done. You got to get offended in your room alone now. Oh, it's going to be okay, though. You're going to be fine. So, yeah. So this book is available for pre-order. And I know you're like, oh, we can just wait till it comes out. No, you can't. No, because that's what we we get on fancy lists if a lot of people pre-order it. We right? worked, Is that what happened? We worked. We found out like last week that oh, it was yeah. that they wanted to that the publishing company really liked the book and they wanted to announce it super early for pre-order. And like we like way earlier worked really hard to get a photo shoot in to finish this cover. We've been working nonstop all week. So we would really, really we, appreciate we it if you're going to buy the book anyway. Uh, to pre-order it now. What's the book called? It's called Fucked. <gasps> oh. Being sexually explorative and self-confident in yeah. a world oh, that's, that's screwed. screwed. You put me on the spot, but I'm glad I remember it. And I was like, did you say it slow because you were trying to remember it? <laughs> no, well, I wanted to my get trick. it right. Yeah. But also, I think it's a great title. It is a really good title. I mean, and guys, we wrote it, but I think The cover it's looks title. really good and... Uh, you uh, have access to our most inner thoughts that are actually well thought out and well written. Totally. And shout out to D Guerreros, who yeah. is the photographer behind the original Guys We Fucked avatar. Yes. And she were like, wouldn't it be cool if we came full circle? And then she photographed us for our book. And that's what happened. It's so beautiful. It's very beautiful. I, really? And I, I never thought I'd write a book. We really moved ourselves with this book. Honestly, yeah, I'm touched. Are you guys touched? You're sitting at your desk. I know. You're not doing work How right now. How many times did you cry while writing the book? Eight. Really? Yeah. I think I only cried once. <clears throat> Why'd you cry? I, I probably was listening to Alanis Morissette, oh. honestly. <laughs> well, I mean, I dug, I read, I pretty much read almost every email in our inbox. Because mm-hmm. one of the things that we include in the book is, uh, our little excerpt subject lines from, from our inbox. Our inbox is the craziest thing. Our inbox is a treasure test. It's an eye. It's a window into the world of what everybody's thinking about sexuality. It's and like, a treasure chest. It also a deep, dark It place. is a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but reading some of the stories that I, I had gazed, glossed over because we don't have time to read everything. Wow. Right. And, also, and putting them all yeah. together, like putting every, like if you take all the subject lines about rape, putting them all together and you're like, fuck. Yeah. Dude. This is a fucking problem. And uh, a lot of people have had, a lot of people have jizzed on their cat. I gotta say, like 12 people. And I was like, that's a lot. Why cats, not dogs? I don't know. Hmm. Maybe the dog uh, 
I don't know because dogs. I don't know. You would think the cat has better reflexes. Sometimes cats maybe are cats just like, like lazy and sleeping, and maybe like are easier to hide. And well, most of the twelve cases were like the jizz, like um, like it projectiled onto the cat. So it wasn't like because I was like, don't you masturbate onto your cat? That's not. Didn't Justy Dodge say something about jizz getting on her yeah. cat during her episode? She did, and mm. I think that's after we got all those emails oh. right after her episode because you're like, I just don't my cat. I just don't my cat. I'm like, guys, stop jizzing on your cat. We're gonna call Peta on you. I mean. I mean, at least you're not having sex with your cat, but it's a good, that's a good start. <laughs> just don't just on your cat. But yeah. So I, uh, the, the tears were from exhaustion. Oh yes. Uh, me not being able to sit still and going nuts. That was probably also a result from exhaustion and also just reading some of the emails. I'm like, God, God damn it. Oh, you know what? I, I remember when I cried. It was when I was going, uh, like, yeah, deep, Alanis Morissette style deep into, I had to, like, relive my breakup. Yes. That's why. Yeah. I Stanis- Did you talk about that? I Stanislavskied that shit. Oof. I went back to the time and the place, and I really felt it, guys. Do you know, that's actually, that was the other time, I, one, of the, one of the eight times I cried was because I was writing about <laughs> Stoya, and, like, I kind of went really in-depth with that whole thing. Yeah. Like, meeting, you know, all that stuff. And uh, Steven is editing his his director's reel right now. And he had a picture or he had a clip oh, of her right, in it. right, right, right. And because I, w- I had just gotten done, because li- li- when you have to write something, like to me, I want to live through it and then type. You know what I mean? Like I, think I don't that's, want to, but I have to. Right. I mean, that's yeah. how it's going to be good, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I did that. And then I came wow, we're down. we're talking about this like we're Dostoevsky Dust- over here. <laughs> Like, this is going to be amazing. I wrote uh, all my beats. I scri- I scored my scripts. Um, <laughs> and she was uh, in a clip. She was in one of his music videos a while back. And that clip was in his reel. And I got, I was like, oh, you're just going to have her in it, huh? And he's like, what the fuck, Christina? I'm like, I'm sorry. I was writing and I was just reliving the story. Just, no, keep her in. Keep her in. I'll be mad. And she's like, no, I'll, I'll take her out. I'll take her out of the reel. I'm like, no, I'll be more mad if you take her out. And, uh, you know, so, you know, t- tough times was tough in my apartment. While I was writing this. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't good. My, I mean, my apartment felt very hot at times. It felt uh, suffocating. <laughs> <sighs> it was weird. The point is, we would be honored if you pre-ordered our book. Yeah. I don't know about... I don't know if you'd be honored. I would be honored. You'd probably be like, just do it. I mean, honored... Uh, I was honored to have been asked to write a book. True. I would appreciate it greatly. We would appreciate it. Um, I mean, it's good. Just do it. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. I stand behind it. I do too. Um, uh, and also, uh, if you don't like want to read it yourself, like, I know we have like some like dude listeners or some older, I mean, it's for everyone, but it, you know, it's from a woman's perspective. Yeah. So I think it's like also a great, uh, it's a great gift option for like a young, a young, a young woman in your life. Like I'm going to ask all my guy friends, like buy this for like a young woman who you think could really, would really appreciate it. I think it's a great book for everyone, but I think really like a young woman is really going to benefit from it. Yeah. Or a woman who hasn't, doesn't feel like you, you haven't felt like what your purpose is, uh, in life yet, or you haven't like, you're not fully confident in yourself yeah. or you haven't, uh, kind of peaked sexually or you feel shameful about something to do with your sexuality. And I think yeah. a lot, of, a lot of what it, what it did for me is we've done, we've been doing this podcast for three years. We've gotten hundreds of thousands of emails that I've fucking read them all. We've talked to people on our touring shows afterwards and they tell us very intimate things on stage and off stage. Yeah. And so I feel like I have this unique bank of knowledge and I go, okay, if I have a daughter, what if I had a third, if my daughter 
grew up in this world. What if you just had a 13 year old daughter? What if it Day came one. out of the womb when she was 13? <laughs> and I was like, that was easy. I didn't even have to do anything for the first 13 fucking years. I'm a magical sorcerer. Anyway, but what would I want to say? What would I want my daughter to know uh, how to be prepared? And my, my nephew Brantley, I go, he's going to be a teenager at some point in the future, very near future. What do I think he should know? How should he uh, reflect on himself and, and, and be, become self-aware and uh, be your own person and be happy and shame-free. And also just think so how possible. cool you're going to look reading a book. Who does that anymore? Oh, I know. Just walking around like with a book. Maybe you'll end up on an Instagram account about reading books. Oh, Hawkeye's reading? Yeah. <gasps> oh, my God. How cool Instagram. would you look if you were right, reading this feminist book, man? But it was called Fucked. So yeah. everyone's like, are you reading porn? You're like, no, I'm reading these two forward-thinking women's thoughts on sexuality and how it plays nice. a role in our culture and society today. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to be like, yo, bro. And then you're like, expect that. <laughs> Because you're drowning in pussy. Hey. Sorry right. about last night, comedy.com slash book. Oh, yeah, that's where you go. Just go to our Is website and then it'll be glowing. There'll a little tab that says book that our friend Mark and slash web designer speedily put together for us. Yes, thank you. So again, sorry about last night, comedy.com slash book. That's where you go. You can get it from any of your favorite retailers. And we really sincerely appreciate it. Yeah. Can't believe can't the day believe, is here. Yeah. I can't believe I kept that secret. I know. I'm so proud I, of I you. I think it's one of the only secrets I've ever kept. <laughs> it is. I've told every, and I don't mean to. I but just part so of the reason that we were able to do this special announcement is, is because be- kept it a secret. So we all won. Yeah. We all benefited. Wow. That's beautiful. Oh, guys. This show is sponsored by Better Help. Getting stuff off your chest is incredible. It's so therapeutic. We all carry around different stressors. Some of them are big. Some of them are small. A lot of them are very big. Uh, But we keep them bottled up and it could start affecting us negatively. And then we act like a jerk to the people we love. And we're like, this is not how I want to be. Therapy has saved my life personally. There are so many benefits of it. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. And it isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. Although if you have experienced major trauma, highly recommend. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designated to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist and you could switch at any time. Finding a therapist is like dating. They're not all going to work out in the first try. BetterHelp understands that. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash guys to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash guys. Guys, the weather's getting warmer. It's time to say goodbye to your jackets and all your sweaters. And you got to refresh your wardrobe. Well, luckily... I found Quince, and now you have to because you're listening to this. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And if you go to their website, the amount of categories, they have travel, lookbooks, men, women, home, babies, and kids – Their stuff is so cute. So I own a couple items from Quince, and one of them is the Italian leather hand-woven crossbody purse in green, emerald, and I get compliments on it all the time. It's a small purse, which I really love because then I don't put as many things in it. Um, Guys, Quince is amazing. They have very luxury items for very cheap prices. Get warm weather ready, baby, with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash GWF for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E. 
quince.com slash GWF to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash GWF. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, so now on to our guests. <laughs> We're just so overcome with emotion from our own accomplishments. <laughs> <laughs> we're so great oh my god it was so hard really proud of us and we really got through it <laughs> speaking of people who are very <clears throat> accomplished and wrote a book and wrote a book the this interview uh is we're really excited to share this interview with you um with two amazing strong powerful young women they both attended the university of north carolina they were both uh, sexually assaulted while attending school there and they both ended up joining forces and created uh this amazing organization called nrapeoncampus.org they were uh featured in the documentary the hunting ground about uh rape on college campuses and they have a book out called we believe you ladies and gentlemen please welcome to the show annie clark and andrea pino I kept saying Andrea, and I'm like, what? I just came back from London, and I feel like I'm pronouncing everything weird. And- oh, you got Andrea. It right time, you got it right. Let me tell you, so many people can just butcher it. I mean, and it's not that hard. Right. Yeah. There's like, I think there's like, isn't there like two possible ways to say it? It's Andrea or Andrea. Andrea, Andrea. On, I guess Andrea. Yeah. yeah. All right. How are you guys Andrea. doing? <laughs> You guys doing good? We're good. We um, talk to the talk, just make sure you you're very close. Closer. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. We're up at like four thirty. Oh. Took the bus. Oh, that's right. You yeah. did. You came all the way from DC, and uh, we really appreciate it. We uh, you are both featured in the documentary The Hunting Ground, and uh, and do you guys get tired of talking about that? Yeah. You know, it's it's funny because like now my Twitter biography is I was in a movie once. I just leave it there. It's like yeah. the, it's, people used to like message me on LinkedIn and be like, are you that girl? Like no description, just are you that girl? I'm like, sure, uh, I'm that girl. Yeah, I am if you want um, me to be, I guess. Yeah, and I, I literally just started saying, I was in a movie once or we were we were taking a flight to London and the person who was taking our tickets at our, at our um, plane was just staring at me and he's like, I think I've seen you somewhere. I was like, well, <laughs> we're in Iceland, so I don't think you've seen me often. Damn. And I was like, well, I was in a movie once. He's like, oh, yeah, that. Uh, oh, <laughs> that blows. So you oh. get the recognition, but then they're like, oh, it was from the hunt. Oh, man. Sorry. Like, yeah. it's, that's got to be. And it was like really popular in Canada, too. It was very popular in Canada. We had a flight attendant just stop the whole line of people that were picking up tickets. And she's like, can I get a photo with you? 
We're like, wow, oh, yeah, that's really nice. But everyone's like, wow, you're like going to prevent me from like getting on my plane. Fast. Yeah. <laughs> What's the most frustrating reaction that you get when people recognize you from the hunting ground? Um, I don't know if this is this is frustrating. And I think it's actually one of the better things to come out of the film. It's sort of like a double edged sword that now people feel like they can talk about things and mm-hmm. fe- they don't feel alone anymore. But it's yeah. like there's so many survivors. And just, you know, when we're out, um, especially if we're like out um, together having coffee or whatever, and people see us and make that connection and come up and just start telling their their story. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it's amazing that it's given, you know, so many people the outlet, but it's also like sometimes you're just drinking your coffee. And, sometimes you just don't want to talk about rape. Yes. Yeah. 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 And that's okay. <laughs> or sometimes you're at brunch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With like friends and you just, yeah, you know, that happens a lot. Really. Or sometimes you just want to watch Netflix and not see your face on a preview. Oh yeah, that blows. Yeah, on the bright could, side, it's it's in the empowered women category. So I'll take oh, that's that. good. Well, the, the, it's like I mean, you might be interested in the hunting sure. <laughs> all the time though. You seem usually to really after, like this movie. <laughs> it's like usually after like watching Supergirl or something like oh. that, which is totally fine. Totally yeah. fine. Yeah, that's just uh, that's just odd. That's odd. That's so like, did you ever think like, oh, one day? Oh, wow. No, I mean, I don't even like to have my picture taken, mm-hmm. which is why I love this podcast. You yeah, know, I can just talk. Yeah, you can show up. It's great. However, yeah. well, so let's start. How did how did how did the hunting ground come about? How did they find you two ladies specifically? Do you want to start? Yeah. So um, I was a junior at the University of North Carolina. That will hopefully beat Duke. Uh, in a few hours. Um, oh, you still cheer for them. That's good. You know, a lot of people take that very personally. They're like, I how dare you cheer for the school? Cheer for whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> um, it does become a thing, especially during March. But um, Oh, gosh. Yeah. Anyway, sports people. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so um, I went to UNC and um, um, after experiencing sexual assault, um, I kind of dove into asking these big questions. That's what I do to deal with my problems. And um, I was, you know, why is it that I didn't know what to do when it happened to me? And and I learned about this law called Title IX. And I knew about it because, you know, we, we kind of heard about it in terms of sports equity. Sure, that's why women get to play sports and that's why I get to go to school. Because it's gender equality is the main. Yeah, well, well, what it actually is, it's a very short law. And, and if Betsy DeVos does not get confirmed, it'll hopefully still be in the books. Um, but the way it is, it's just a simple sentence and it basically guarantees anyone the right to an equal education um, regardless regardless of their gender. And it's been interpreted by the Obama administration to also include gender identity, gender identity, gender performance, and also cover um, sexually based crimes. So sexual harassment, sexual assault, uh, and not just rape, but any type of sexual assault as defined by the FBI, which includes digital penetration, as well as other types of violence uh, perpetrated without consent. Um, so when learning this, I'm like, you know, why is it that as a student, I didn't know that this was a thing? Um, so I actually ended up reaching out to Annie and the way I reached out to Annie um, was because I had used this box system that allowed me to anonymously report my sexual assault. And I learned that she had created it as a student. I was like, she seems cool. I'm going to reach out to Was her. it a cardboard box that you just put like... I mean, it, it kind of think about if you're at a restaurant and you want to leave an anonymous comment, comment yeah. and... But it was in the in the student bathrooms and the gyms and and the student union. So if you wanted to go and report something or get resources, nobody would have to see you do it. Yeah. And so the idea um, when I came forward and I actually told somebody, I was blamed. And again, trying to deal with a problem, I was trying to figure out how can we 
fix a system so survivors who report sexual assault aren't blamed. And so this was, you know, one idea at one school. And, you know, around this time, Andrea did reach out to me after realizing that I created that system at UNC. And at that time, I graduated and was working at the University of Oregon. And I was hearing stories from my students that sounded very, very familiar to my own and really recognizing that this wasn't about one institution, one school or one story. This was a national problem. Huge problem. Yeah. Huge. I mean, huge fucking problem this yeah it happens to a lot of people and and i think that when when seeing that it had happened to so many of my friends and they had completely changed the way they acted around our friend groups and when learning about title nine and learning that like my school was literally getting federal funding to adhere to this law and they weren't doing enough because this was still happening and we simply didn't know that we even had rights so we learned that we could actually file a federal complaint if our university was not adhering title nine uh and we also learned that we didn't need lawyers which was kind of cool to file the complaint you didn't need we did not and that was like life-changing and i actually learned this while writing a paper for political science class which was awesome because then i got completely distracted for the rest of the semester um but it's like the biggest project ever. Absolutely. You know, that was like my final paper. It was like basically the complaint. Um, So then we're like, you got an A, right? Yeah. Okay, good. (laughs) But um, yeah, so what we did was we actually decided to file a federal complaint. And at first people were like, oh, you know, they're so in over their head. And I remember one of the first interviews I did was with a local um, news agency. And they said, um, you know, what does it feel like to be um, filing this complaint? I was like, well, you know, I'm just a 20 year old woman taking on a 200 year old university. And I was like, oh, I might regret this. Um, but I'm like, you know what? I'm not. And I remember calling my parents be like, mom, dad, I'm doing this thing. And you might see my face in the news. And I promise I'm like not going to jail. It'll be fine. <laughs> I won't get sued by anyone, I think. Um, <laughs> so we actually ended up pushing the complaint to January because we realized that no one was really going to cover it in December. Um, but when we filed the complaint um, in January of, of 2013, um, it simply just wasn't done before. Um, you had had a couple of complaints being filed before, but they had never really been filed by students, by 20-somethings without attorneys. Um, and the reason we did this is because we realized that if we combined our personal story and we combined some type of political action, we could possibly create a grassroots movement. And yeah. pretty quickly, we started hearing from students at other universities saying that it was happening to them too, and they wanted to, to do what we did. Um, and it was around February or so when we had already heard from a few other students at different universities, and they had begun also starting to file their complaints that um, Kirby Dick, um, who's the director of the film, and Amy Zering, who's a producer, were coincidentally enough actually touring with their previous documentary, The Invisible War, that was nominated for the for an Oscar and won the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance. And um, I had actually put up a poster um, on my hall. I was an RA. And um, one of my residents, I had encouraged her to go. And, and then she's like, well, I'm going to go. I'm really excited to see this documentary. It's and, a documentary about sexual assault in the military and okay. how... Um, it's also covered up and there's this level of institutional betrayal there. So they're they're touring sure. with this film around the same time that this is happening. Mm. So then my resident, who's really cool, her name is Jennifer Nowicki. I think she's in the Peace Corps now. Um, she, yeah, she went to the, she stayed there and she went to stay for the Q&A. And she's like, you know, this really sounds like what's happening to my RA. Like it's not in the military, but it's very similar. Like universities are covering it up. And then I'm going to impersonate Kirby Dick. He's like, tell me more about that. That's how Kirby talks. <laughs> and and pretty much immediately, um, I got a call um, from Kirby saying that he wanted to talk more about what was happening on college campuses and that they had were possibly considering working on a project. And again, you know, as a, as a 20-something 
hearing from some director in Hollywood, I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. I never thought yeah. I would work on this film, but sure. And, and, I, and at first, you know, Amy and I thought that we were just going to consult on it, that we were going to help them put a documentary together. Um, but then, like, by March, we had... Um, we had worked with the New York Times and they had done the first major article on um, campus sexual assault. And it was really interesting, too, because when we decided to file the complaint and where we're reaching out to all these news organizations, they're basically like, yeah, right. This is bullshit. You're not going to do anything. But when the Department of Education came back um, and said, yeah, we're going to investigate this that's when it became a front page New York Times news story. And that was one of the first ones, um, like Andrea was saying, that really connected all of these dots. And, you know, you had people at UC Berkeley telling the same story as students at Dartmouth and the same story as a community college in North Carolina and at UNC Chapel Hill. So it was this much bigger thing than one institution. And like Andrea was saying, um, we chose to tell our stories. And I wasn't very public. Andrea had written, I think, um, in the student paper a little bit about her experience, but realizing that we needed and we also had the privilege to be able to be public about this. And so a lot of other people can't, right? And they're either not believed or they're living in direct fear. And we, it sounds weird to have a conversation about privilege and sexual assault, but we did have the privilege to be public. And so using our faces and our, and our stories, you know, that was relatable. People could look at the paper and say, that looks like me. That sounds like my story. So Mm -hmm. that was part of a a media strategy, if you will, but also um, trying to really create culture change. Yeah, get the coverage that this issue deserves. Absolutely. And and at first, like, like I said, Kirby and Amy were basically just kind of tossing around the idea of working in a documentary. And that's just because at this time in 2013, there weren't a lot of public survivors that were sharing their story. I mean, it was Annie and me and, you know, there was Sophie Karasik at Berkeley and there was Hope Brandon Mia Ferguson at uh, Swarthmore. And Angie you know, Epifano at um, Amherst. You had had a couple of students here and there at different universities. But again, I mean, you're talking in, in one hand you could count how many survivors were public. Um, but really, by the middle of 2013, I mean, this had begun to explode as, as a national movement. And that's really when Amy and Kirby were like, you know, we're going to make this film. And that's when Annie and I decided to move to L.A. to work on this film. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that happened. Yeah. yeah. The whole dropping college thing was like not. Yeah. Like, my parents were not into that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I but like, are no. you glad you did it? I mean, this documentary has reached a lot of people. Yeah. You know, I went back, but I think it was definitely something that, um, you know, I did it for many reasons because by um, by like April of 2013, right around when we we started working, actually filming with the hunting ground folks um, while still at UNC, uh, when you're one of the only public survivors, it's a very, very hard life on college campuses. How so? And um, well, I mean, it was already hard being a minority student. Um, I already felt it was hard already being in college. I'm the first person in my family to go to school. Um, I'm from a predominantly Hispanic area. I'm out of state. And as it is, there's many, there's few out-of-state students, even fewer minority out-of-state students at Carolina. Um, So even being marginalized to start off um, and then being that public rape girl uh, made yeah. it really hard to yeah. be a student, right? Yeah. It's um, got it. How does it feel to have that define you? I mean, now you've kind of turned it into something amazing and productive, like yeah, but nobody's you, business, but how do you feel about that? It's, it's just, it is, it is really interesting and it's kind of, you know, I have some friends that are, that are in the industry and it's kind of, I almost feel like it's kind of like being an actor and then like trying to be a normal human and then like not being associated to that movie you made that one time that you might not like anymore or ever like um except and it's, it's rape i mean that's yeah like no absolutely i mean but i mean i feel it's similar to like you know some actors that play survivors or that yeah. play controversial figures and like they're associated, they're associated with that one 
story all the time. And, and I think it's, it's very similar in college. It was like, I'm that girl who's always controversial. Um, I was involved in campus and it made it nearly impossible to continue doing what I was doing. I was really? a student government. Um, how, how, why did it, why? Well, cause I was just associated with being controversial, which is, I mean, it is, is bullshit, but at because the time, of the, right? yeah, but I, yeah. I know exactly oh. what you mean. Like, it's like, yeah. you're at once you're known as like gal who squawks, you're always known. And Absolutely. I'm speaking cause I am that person. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. and it, we also, I mean, there was retaliation and like, I think you, you saw in the film, like, yeah. of course there's going to be those online trolls, right. Who are yeah. going to tweet death threats and rape threats to mm-hmm. you. But also, um, like we, her dorm got broken into, and we yeah, were like getting, too. we were getting in person moment. Yeah, yeah. So like my dorm that's was, covered in the film, right? Oh, the yeah. And yeah. Stuff. yeah, 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 yeah. So like in April, well, right around Easter weekend of that year, my dorm was broken into, and it wasn't necessarily like my dorm room, but like my hall, and like as an RA, like that was a pretty big deal. <sighs> mm, yeah. And also not only that, but like. I happened to be on duty. You know, I was the main RA because I didn't go home for Christmas. Sorry for Christmas for for Easter. (laughs) But, um, you know, I remember calling me like, I have to report like an incident that I'm a victim of. And what's really sad too is that like the university didn't really do anything. They sent out a few emails about the basketball game before they actually talked about this incident. It wasn't until one of my residents wrote a letter to the editor, the university even sent an email acknowledging the incident. It's it's so crazy because the the lack of transparency it, that universities have about sexual assault. I get it, the branding thing, squeaky clean image, blah blah blah. But it it seems to me that if a university was transparent about the sexual assaults and transparent about their proactiveness right. to figure it out, I would almost trust my kid to go there way more than Absolutely. the university that's covering it up. And you would and you would think so and and hope so. And actually. I- a lot of people, you know, um, look at the crime statistics data. So every university um, is required under this law called the Cleary Act to report crimes that happen on their campus. It's a geographic-based law, so if it's off-campus, they don't have to report But every college But every college has to. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of parents, when they're looking, or students, they're like, oh, zero sexual assaults, that school must be safer. And I always tell parents that's usually a red flag because it either Mm. means students don't know how to report, they don't feel comfortable reporting, or the school isn't intentionally or unintentionally underreporting. Yeah. And so those higher numbers could actually, you know, be more realistic and indicate a safer campus. Sure. It's like if you, I mean, like any time, like there's no campuses that have zero sexual Right. So that's just like, not, it's about? not realistic have at all. in the subway one time? Like, what does that even mean? That's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. When Corinne and I went, Corinne and I went to UNC Chapel Hill to give a talk at a TEDx conference. Oh, cool. And I remember this girl drove me around. She's, uh, after the like we performed a show or something and she drove me around campus and she was like oh that's the um that's the exa- and i hadn't seen the documentary yet she goes that's the date rape frat uh the date rape uh frat and i was like what and she just said it like oh yeah like oh, oh, Matter a bunch of, fact- of my friends got like raped there i'm like wait you're not that's bad that's really bad you know that's bad right and she's like i know it's just whatever i'm like what the well, it becomes a joke because it's essay, like SAE, sexual assault expected. Like people just talk about it like it's like, a, oh, it's like oh, it almost seems the same as like you would say, like DTF, like down to fuck. Like it's like not the same thing at all. No. What are you talking about? And if it becomes like kind of this joke or that's just accepted by men, women and in between, then how mm-hmm. is that? They're gonna and you could go to any change. you could go to any school and say, you know, where is this notorious 
you know, yeah, sure. And they will know. Students will know. And you know, if students know, then the administration knows. And then they have a responsibility to do something. But unfortunately, they're not being very proactive. And, and I was curious to, to know yeah. what was the frat that she pointed out. Because I almost feel like it's different with every class. Because it's like they clean house and they're trying to, like, make up for, like, we were rapey once. Like, uh, we're not rapey anymore. <laughs> we're not rapey anymore. Ooh. But it also seems like like the, the, that those those frat houses are, like, also, like, the fun ones. Like, in quote, like, the pe- one that people want to go to, which is even I mean, her level of casualty with which she spoke, which she said the rape den, the rape date, uh, what, like, Mm -hmm. it seemed like, yeah, but they have like fun parties. Well, and also everyone goes in, I think with like, oh, it's not going to happen to me attitude. Right. And until you know somebody or it happens to you, I mean, you you don't think it's going to, right? Yeah. And you hear these statistics and they're, they're high. It's what one in four, one in five college age women will transfer, drop out, take their own lives or graduate with the title of sexual assault survivor. And if that was anything else, like imagine if one in five people's MacBooks were stolen or got the flu, Mm -hmm. you know, like we would be having a serious conversation at at very high levels. And it's taken 18 and 19 year old students to push schools to hold them, you know, accountable for breaking the law. One thing that I don't get why I don't get why colleges don't realize that being transparent about sexual assault is actually a good thing, because if you talk about losing students and that's your you don't want to lose tuition dollars. Right. So you're going to lose a tuition dollars of maybe if I'm an active rapist, I'm like not going to go to that school. They report me. You're losing you're losing those people. You're not losing women or like men and women that could be victims of this crime. It it just doesn't, I I still can't wrap my head around what the university had. Like who who is more likely to sue? Who's more likely to not report the rapist? Yeah. Because it's, I mean, this is, this is a problem that's been so put on the shoulders of the survivors that it's just a lot of shame involved in it. So people aren't going to say anything. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, the way it's explained in the documentary to me made sense. Everything at the end of the day is pretty much about money, whether it be politics, whether it be school, anything, it's all about money. I think the interesting thing too, with, with this issue in particular is I, I still feel like we are stuck in this archaic understanding understanding of what is sexual assault. And I think that that's mm-hmm. a lot to do with the way we were raised that, you know, we were taught that if you dress a certain way, if you act a certain way, if you hang out with the right people, it's not going to happen to you. Right. And that's just because we're not taught to fear the people that we're actually hanging out with. Like we mm. think that it's a yeah. sketchy person in the corner, which is why those crime statistics are such misnomers because like those are the minority of sexual assault. It's not like they don't happen. They do happen. I, and I have friends that are in that, like have been assaulted, harassed, grabbed by someone in the subway. And like, yes, they do happen. But that's just not the majority of these cases. And like sometimes the poster boy, you know, lacrosse player, frat guy is the assailant. And that person is, you know, arguably more valuable to the university than one of the many students that that person assaults. It's something like 80 percent of sexual assaults on college campus are somebody, you know, right. It's it's somebody in your chemistry class. It's it's somebody on your dorm. Um, So it's it's not this stranger danger, but that's what is preached about, right? Yeah. And then sometimes survivors will feel that because they knew a person or because they had hooked up before or because, you know, this guy is nice and he made a mistake and they feel like that experience is somehow less valid. And I think the media, you know, makes them feel like that in, in, in certain ways too. In your opinion, what what should colleges do? What should what should what should be done? What should I, this is such a huge fucking problem. I can't one of the I feel like my cause now and I I was been lucky i've i've not been sexually assaulted but we get so many emails about it and it and it yeah. blew my mind how many emails we get every day about i was raped and i've never most of them never told anybody and it's every day i and i'm sure i mean you guys get it 
every second. But yeah, I didn't realize it was such a big problem. And I, um, what what can we do better? I think we just have to start much earlier. And also, we're talking about college because that's when this happened to us, and that's our area of expertise. But recognizing that sexual violence and assault happened much much earlier in families yeah. and churches and communities, um, and it's the same pattern too. It's like the going same back pattern. to like a lot of times, people think like, oh, you you have to teach your child not to take like a lollipop from a stranger who's passing by in a car. Like, no, most times your kid is getting sexually assaulted, but the family friend that you've been trusting for 10 years that's coming over and you're leaving them alone in the room. Not to scare everyone, but I do no, enjoy no, like scaring Uncle everyone. Larry's a little touchy-feely and uh, that's, but that's, a per- when it's a child, they're like, oh, I'm taught to trust this person. Absolutely. So, and then the kid doesn't fucking know. Like, it, and oh, that's God. why we've got to start much earlier. Like, if the first time we're talking about sexual violence is at college orientation, it's, yeah. it's way, way too late. Sure. And yeah. so, I mean, starting, so like, my little sister, I always say this, she's a kindergarten teacher. Bless her. She has more patience than I, I ever will. A lot of patience for that job. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, thinking about what she hears other, you know, teachers or students or parents saying on, you know, the playground, he's chasing you because he likes you. Oh, it's really cute that he's hitting you. And oh, that's <laughs> inter- that cute. Right. But what? that's how, that, that's internalized. Right. And so mm-hmm. and then you get into middle school and I really want a teacher um, or somebody who's listening that is a researcher to tell me how many hours of a girl's education are lost because they are taken out of their classroom because their shorts are too short (laughs) or their straps aren't aren't wide enough. And then what is, what is that message sending? You're telling the young boys, like, we don't hold you to this high standard. You can't control yourself. And the young girls, if something happens to you, that's your fault. And so you, you go from the playground chasing you because he likes you, you can't control, and then mm-hmm. you fast forward and you're sitting and trying to report a sexual assault. And then that victim blaming language, well, what did you expect? How short right. was your skirt? Why did you go home? Same with things are happening it's the when you same like, thing. I was violently raped in the bathroom. And they're like, well, I mean, were you drunk? Like, what the fuck? It, it does make sense. Now, speaking of that, we were, before we press record, you were, you guys were both talking about uh, whether or not. The, sec- the possible secretary of educate Department of Education is going to get confirmed today. We're recording this podcast earlier uh, before you're actually everyone else is listening to it. And this 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 is I'm so happy that this is happening while you guys are here, because the importance of a president's cabinet member picks. I'm so fucking sick of of being labeled as a, a, a sensitive liberal snowflake for giving a shit about this stuff. But this is why this is important. Those rules that you're talking about, things that schools could be doing better. Right. The person currently being considered for Department of Education is not a person with a good track record whatsoever. And I could not imagine these issue, these laws or better laws being implemented to help fix this problem. Thoughts? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's funny that I can't think of Betsy DeVos without thinking about Kate McKinnon's portrayal oh, of her on SNL. She's an angel. Um, but, <laughs> Kate, you know, I, um, <laughs> you know, I actually, um, I'm from Miami-Dade County and um, our public schools have essentially been run to the ground. I mean, since I've been on this earth. And um, when my parents were deciding to send me to school, they ended up sending me to a Catholic school because our local elementary school was just not a viable option. Mm-hmm. And uh, we really couldn't afford it, but it was an option. And, um, Catholic school is a whole other conversation, 
But um, we never talked about sex. We never talked about bodily autonomy. We never talked about anything that really had to deal with the world. I would say the most political we got was when I read Harry Potter and my teacher told me I was going to hell because I was reading Harry Potter. Or when I- You paid for that. Yeah. Your family paid for that. (laughs) Or when I voted for Carrie in our mock election and I was the only one who did so and I was a baby murderer. Um, Anyway, but you know, I mean, this is this is the experience that I had because we didn't have a good public education. I mean, not to mention the bullying aside, but just like the complete stifling of any type of healthy sex ed. And you know, going back to this conversation of starting early, like we need to stop criminalizing sex ed. We need to stop criminalizing conversations around healthy sexuality. We need to stop criminalizing healthy sexuality to begin with. I agree. And you know, there have been incredible books written about um, sexual assault. I mean, to start with Perks of Being a Wallflower, talk about Speak. These are books that. Have have been banned banned in conservative counties around the country. Why? Because we talk about sexual assault. And how can we possibly even begin to scratch the surface of this conversation if we're literally criminalizing books that are trying to teach children about bodily autonomy? Why do you think people would, uh, 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 the head of a state, a county would ban that? Because in my, I don't, I can't, can, I don't know why they don't. Did they just don't want to talk about sex because of a religious thing I think or it's just hard, uncom- hard, discomfort? Discomfort, religion. And I mean, I think all of it. It's just it's so unfortunate. And so I grew up in North Carolina, and we had abstinence only education, oh. and so we couldn't even talk about sex. Like, and the only thing that we got remotely um, that was accurate was biology. It, like everybody can picture like the fallopian tube mm-hmm. chart. Like you know, but no one knows how sperm gets there because you're not telling me exactly. And and so how do we even talk about sexual violence if we can't talk about sex? Yeah. Right. That's why I thought if I masturbated, I would get pregnant for the longest time. Why I'm that? like, well, it's going to happen one day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think these books are banned because it's like these conversations aren't being had at home. But then if you introduce the topics in the classroom, then the teacher's left with the responsibility of having the conversation. And then only at that time will the parents jump in and be like, well, that's not the way I wanted to talk to my kids about sexual assault. And it's like, boo, you didn't even talk to them about sexual assault to begin with. Mm-hmm. That was your job and you didn't do it. So like you have to know you have you should know about sexual assault before you're sexually assaulted. You and what's know, actually also sad too is that I mean it's not like kids are not learning about sex like they're watching porn and and they're consuming it from For other sure. areas. So like you know you look at you hear about these cases like the case at Vanderbilt where there was a bottle involved in the sexual assault mm-hmm. and then, then you just like wonder where this guy thought that was a good idea. Like I'm totally gonna get stimulated by a shattering bottle inside my vagina. Oh you know what it happened in porn and that seemed totally realistic. She it, liked it in the video. Absolutely. Well she didn't die or have vaginal lacerations in the video. Right. So. Clearly, this was this was all a fair game. And I think also it's just this this idea that we can't we can't trust our kids to learn about sex. We can't trust them. Like, where are they supposed to learn about this? Are they just supposed to, like, you know, take it in through osmosis? Like, are they just going to figure it out? And like, is sexual assault just like a bump in the road when it comes to learning about how to have good sex? Like, that's just not how it works. Like you have survivors bodies who are literally being used as practice by some of these dudes. Like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to figure out this whole drunken sex thing. And if I accidentally rape someone, you know, I'm just a guy and I don't know what I'm doing. And and that's how it's actually treated, you know, sometimes by the police, sometimes by institutions. Oh, like, uh, if you remember That's going to happen to me. Yeah, they can do it with impunity. And if you remember, you know, uh, the Stanford rape case, uh, Brock Turner's fault, it was just 20 minutes of action. It It was a mistake. And so, like, you are, you were using people's bodies to commit a felony, and yet it's still called a mistake. 
So to go back to um, the Betsy question. So what's interesting about specifically her choice programs is mm-hmm. that, um, and of course she's just a master at just never answering the question. One, because I don't even know if she actually knows what she, she wants to say does. or she's That's all just trying to be people. They just avoid it. Well, I mean, you're, you're the jackass. <laughs> Next <vacant>. question. <laughs> yeah, oh, I don't even no. know. Um, bears, bears, she said, bears. She said she was confused about um, students' rights, um, students who have disabilities, confused about their rights. And then also, she's like, people go to school for free sometimes. What is that? Like, but bears, oh, though. Bears. bears. Did you hear the bears thing? No. Bears, what? though. So they were talking God about, damn it. Do, we need, do we need guns in schools? And she no. was like, we might for the potential grizzlies. What? Oh, my God. <laughs> I knew that she wanted guns in school. I didn't know because it, it, it was because of bears. Yeah. I was well. like, I mean, if anything, it would be for other kids. But I don't think we'd be. We know, we're not Israel. We don't. Yeah. Everyone doesn't need to walk around with a gun. <laughs> Although, I mean, it's a special place. I have it, been there. It is. I've heard, <laughs> I've heard about it. And I just learned I'm a Jew. So I'm going to do more research on it. Um, <laughs> but OK, so you guys are two women who something fucking shitty happened and you the act the way you turned it into like a productive thing is mind-blowing and like heroic it's inspiring and, yeah it's fucking amazing and so how can we as people as not politicians what can we do what what do we do because i in my head i'm like we should fight for uh, something that ends uh, abstinence-only education as part of the mandate. Yeah. It shouldn't be It shouldn't be an option. But then it's like you don't even legally have to say accurate and factual information for public schools for sexual education. What the fuck? Where, where do we even begin? Well, I, I mean, I guess it is good. And Andrea can talk about this concept because um, she named it called everyday activism. And it's, you know, that everyone can do something, whether you are a parent teaching your son about consent and not just your daughters, right? Teaching your sons. And, you know, if you're a friend telling if somebody comes to you, believing them. And unfortunately, we live in a world where that is a radical act of activism is to believe a survivor. And so there's something everyone can do and there's no one right way to go about it. So we do need people knocking down the doors of the Senate, you know, trying to get better legislation passed. We do need people fighting at the school board level and at the state legislative level for um, healthy relationship education. And let me tell you, we passed it in Virginia and if we wow, can pass it almost unanimously in Virginia, <laughs> wow. we can we can do it anywhere. And, and so, members of a school board, it, you can be a part of a school board if you are a taxpayer in that district, right? Yeah, run you for, don't have to have kids go to that school. Run for office, or you can protest, but not, you know, you don't you don't have. There's no one <sighs> right thing to do, yeah. you know. Um, and also, you know, we hear a lot of times particularly men coming back up and saying, well, you know, I didn't rape anybody. I'm like, you don't get a cookie for not committing a felony. Know, that's not like a good thing that you should put in your dating profile. Like, yeah, that's like, something to brag about. Like, like not a rapist. I'm like, not a murderer. Job. So Never raped cool. anyone. Right. So so that is that is a very low bar. And I think we all as citizens can do better. Yeah. You know, it's funny you're mentioning that the special snowflake thing earlier. And uh, I was telling my, my sister is dating a white man. And uh, bless her heart. She has, you know... I, I love him so much, but I will say that she has really gone above and beyond in sitting him down and calling him out on stuff. That's and great. What's interesting is that, I mean, he's a great guy, uh, but he is from Western North Carolina. And um, I mean, this is a community that, that just, I mean, you know, they look at liberals in a very different way because it's like, you know, they're working class. They're living in the mountains, like mainly watch Fox News. So it's, it's, it's not like there's anyone actually sitting them down. So when you have like 
um, you know, a privileged white male at an elite university and you have, um, you know, a girl from inner city Miami who's Latina, who's first, who's the first person to go to college. Like, I mean, they have very different experiences. I mean, so for her to sit down and have these conversations with him, it's been really hard, but I mean, it's his job to take it in and actually, you know, deconstruct his privilege. And like, if you're feeling uncomfortable, then you're doing this right. If you're feeling uncomfortable about cheering for your school and believe me, I still do. I mean, I cheer for them, but I feel uncomfortable. Like, yeah. I mean, that's just a part of, 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 you know, being woke, right? And being woke is not just something you get to like put on your profile, right? It's, it's an everyday struggle. Like there are things you have to deconstruct every day because we all have different types of privileges. And like, it, you know, when it comes to sexual assault, like in even survivors, we have privileges too. And, and there are certain, like, I think one of the things that bothers me the most with this conversation is that we have these expectations of survivors. Like I was on Reddit this morning and one of the top, why, um, why? one of the top <laughs> posts for shit. Okay. Sometimes. Well, um, one of the things I do, there's some good stuff. On one of the things that. I do in my everyday activism is that, you know, I'll, you know, go through these things because I want to learn what people in Reddit are talking about, you know, when it comes smart. to these different things, yeah. right? Smart. Um, I Reddit, do it with Reddit, caution. I feel like it's like capturing how no, most people really, 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 okay. really especially people like younger people yeah. who like don't get their news from anywhere else. And I think in an era of quote unquote fake news, a lot of people are turning to Reddit because it's user generated. Um, but one of the top posts in this one subreddit was about a girl who had experienced sexual assault and, um, you know, she just didn't know what to do and was like considering, um, you know, going to a gyno for the first time, um, and had never had sex. So this was like a first time for her, like many, many different things. And just in general, like the shaming of being a woman and like dealing with assault and dealing with going to a gyno for the first time, which is not exactly a fun experience. No, no. Um, and I think what's anyone. interesting is this is, this is a pretty progressive subreddit. Um, it's usually there aren't any trolls in it, but I was just really sad to see how many, I'm assuming women, um, were telling her like, why don't you go to the cops? Like you made a mistake. Like, why didn't you go? Like you're the perfect victim. Like you're, you're, it's your fault if he doesn't get caught. And I think that that's a huge thing that I think progressives need to unpack. Like, mm. it's not like, it's not a survivor's job to tell your perfect story that you read about or saw in SVU. Okay. Like it's not our job to be the perfect survivor and to have that happily ever after, because that's just not the reality of most of these cases. And it's honestly traumatizing to go to the cops, especially if you're a person of color or you've had any altercations before in which you have not been, you have not felt safe or you have not been believed. Like it's not survivor's jobs to live out this fairy tale, you know, story. That's just not how it works. And I think that's also a big problem with the way media portrays sexual violence. And that's one of the things that I do in my everyday activism is, you know, I watch my shows and, and yes, like I, I will take this note from Roxanne Gay. Like I still like to watch my shows, but like, <laughs> I think especially with sexual assault, there are just so many ways that we could be more critical of the way Hollywood portrays sexual assault. And, and I do think it works. I think it works when, when, um, consumers call it out. I mean, I think for example, is Game of Thrones. Uh, everyone was really pissed off with what happened in Game of Thrones. I don't know if y'all watch Game of Thrones. I don't, but tell, yeah. Please. Um, but there was, I mean, God, the show literally started off with a sexual assault. Yeah. Um, but you know, there has been gratuitous sexual violence throughout the entire series, but there was one particular sexual assault that came completely out of the source material. So um, they literally wrote it specifically, I mean, literally for for plot development. When they were interviewed, they're like, well, we wanted to give this this character some type of reason for doing what he did. So literally plot development for the sake of a male character, not for the female character, for the male character. So there was complete outrage over the specific um, sexual assault, and even Senator Claire McCaskill from say. Missouri decided to like go on a Twitter, uh, twit, twi- uh, sorry, uh, a Twitter, a, a, a Twitter rant, a Twitter rant, no, <laughs> a Twitter rant, on a Twitter rant, and.
And it's funny. One, no one knew that she watched Game of Thrones. Two, the <laughs> fact that you have a senator being like, you're full of shit. Like, this is not okay. And I'm That's never awesome. going to watch her show again. Who knows if she actually watches it anymore, but she doesn't tweet about it anymore. Um, but as a result, um, you know, HBO completely changed the story arc of this specific character. And there's actually a scene in the most recent season in which she specifically talks to the person um, who put her in the situation, like literally sold her into marriage where she was sexually assaulted. And the whole point of that scene is to establish the responsibility of sexual assault. She said, it wasn't my fault. It's your fault. And you were the reason why I ended up this way. And this didn't have to happen to me to make me strong, um, which I think is really, it's the complete opposite of what the what they had initially tried to do with this character. It yeah. literally called out the need of using rape as a plot device. And I think That's that right. shows that like, you know, viewers can impact the way that these stories are written. And it's just so important for us to call it out because young kids, I, mean, I don't think about young kids watching Game of Thrones, but like people that watch Game of Thrones, like that's the way they look at sex. That's the way they look at sexual violence. And if, if you have our popular shows essentially affirming this behavior, like how are we ever going to get to the point where yeah. we are able to differentiate good sex and sexual assault if that's all we see. And Shit. and just the narrative, too, of how does a survivor respond? And we know there's no one right way to respond to sexual violence. It's a very non-linear process, and most people don't report to the police. And so when you have, you know, shows that reinforce, like, you know, there's a good victim or a bad victim narrative, it's incredibly harmful. And just to, you know, thinking about going to the police again, to even have that option. Like, we want to talk about archaic state laws. Some state laws, if you are a man or if you are uh, transgender or if you are assaulted in any other way that's not penal penal vaginal, sometimes it doesn't count. And so to even get to that point, you know, we've we've got a lot of a lot of work to do. How can I go back to the Game Game of Thrones just to play devil's advocate? So I mean, I I totally uh, agree in some ways, but then in other ways, it's like I feel like we're getting into a point where we don't want to see anything like almost negative portrayed on on TV. Like TV is now our parent. TV is responsible for the way that we think and the way that we view things. Because I mean, especially Game of Thrones, that's a period piece. I mean, th- fucked up shit was happening in those times, yeah, I mean, for lack so, of a better so word. So to respond to that, there is a way to do a rape plot that's done well. I mean, I think perfect example is Jessica Jones. I mean, it's not an easy mm. show to watch. <laughs> I've seen it. It's a good show. I mean, yeah, it is a good show. And my sister, I had my sister watch it because she's been in Europe and she He's like, what the hell did I just watch? This is like so bloody and terrible. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it is a very violent show, but I think that the way that they portray sexual assault is just so different. It's not, it's not for the male gaze. It's not for the purpose of male development. It's, I mean, you can see that she's been through shit. And I think also it shows as it shows that sexual assault isn't just a one-time situation, right? It's not like you're literally raped and all of a sudden you become a hero. I mean, quite literally, that's what happened in Game of Thrones. She literally was raped and then literally saved her town. Like she literally is the reason why they got Winterfell again. Like great. Awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm all for powerful Sansa at the same time. Like Sansa didn't have to be raped to become a powerful character. Yeah, Not to mention cool before that. her rape was mm. literally for the purpose of one male character gaining a spine and not to mention that they literally wrote this and they deviated from Martin's work. Martin didn't write this. They made it up. And then when they kept being interrogated as to why they added this specific rape, they couldn't back it up. They're like, well, you know what? Like, it's a period drama. Yeah, but like, you really, you already have like dozens of rapes in this show. Mm-hmm. And there's just no reason for you to rape Sansa. Not to mention, they didn't even show Sansa. They showed a male character crying 
as he saw her being raped. Like, let's add on to like the male gaze. I mean, quite literally, you just see a male's gaze as to she as she is being raped on her wedding night. So I don't think it's not to say that we can't show incredibly harmful, you know, stuff because that's life. You know, that's what happens. And people watch TV and see themselves reflected in it. But there is a way to do it responsibly and there's a way to do it authentically. And I think, you know, another good example of that is um, on MTV, the show Sweet Vicious and how um, Mm. survivors input was was asked, you know, like, is this realistic? And, you know, who is the violence for and is it just for the sake of plot development to make somebody stronger? And I think that's another really harmful harmful narrative. Like, oh, this awful, terrible thing happened to you, and now suddenly you're cool or you are a wonderful. Yeah, quite or, literally or, a sociopath. Like they the, make this, you a hero or a villain. The survivor to villain thing. narrative is another one. Yeah, survivor I mean. to villain or survivor to hero. And I think there is still a way to talk about these issues without playing into really harmful narratives. And this is also, I mean, this is a very used up plot device. I mean, I mean, there are literally articles and articles it's and articles <laughs> written about rape as a plot device. I mean, this, and this also happens in progressive shows. It happened in the L word. Quite literally, it was a plot of the L word. If any of you watch the L word, I mean, we're quite literally like one of the characters is a survivor literally goes crazy and ruins everyone's lives. Um, I mean, this happened in um, House of Cards where you have Claire Underwood who's assaulted, um, then goes to PTSD and is quite arguably also one of the more powerful villains in TV. Um, you have Melly and Scandal. Uh, I think Melly's, I think, actually a pretty decent portrayal because they have actually, in a sense, vindicated uh, Melly. She's more of an anti-hero now. She's not really a villain. Um, so I think there yeah, are ways that, of making it up. I mean, it, it's again, like I think that 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 um, you know, especially television that has kind of this constant narrative has this very unique position to be able to tell a story that we're just not seeing in the real world. We're not getting to see these nuanced survivor narratives because unfortunately the way media cover it is it's it's one little bit. I mean, whenever we're on on shows, we usually have 30 seconds to tell whatever we want to tell. And it's usually, uh, we have to be very careful with the way we answer questions because we, they only want to tell one narrative because that's easy and that's safe. Um, but I do think that, especially fiction, you don't have to worry about some perpetrator suing your ass for saying something, uh, or God knows daddy showing up with a lawyer. Mm. Um, you don't have to worry about that, about that in fiction. I mean, you can literally write the story that you wish actually happened. And what I'm sad about in Game of Thrones in particular is because, um, for some reason, so many people love this show. I mean, there are people that I went to high school with that, like, I don't even know. They just love the show. They don't love anything else. They watch Fox News and they love the show. They're obsessed with Game um, of Thrones. They're obsessed. Yeah. And I think and it's that across party lines. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of conservative audiences. Which is why you a lot want of nudity whole... of hot people. Like, yeah. That's no. why I don't really watch the show, but I think of it as like, oh, hot people taking yeah, clothes off. You know, it, it's in. just. And I think, again, it's not that Game of Thrones has to be an activist show at all. It's not that. And that's not why they got they got hate for it. They got hate for it because it was gratuitous and there was no purpose besides literally a male character's development. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key to it is the fact that un- we are still so obsessed with with sexual assault and, and, and in, in the sense of just combining it with sex. It's not sex. It's a crime. It's rape. It's not something that's meant for the male gaze. It's not meant to be sexy. Well, it's a crime of control, God, no. not a car- crime of... Right. It's, it's not like a crime of sexual pleasure. Right. Sexual assault is all about power and control. It has, so it shouldn't it's be not sexy. Sex. Like, no. Right. Yeah. We shouldn't make rape sexy. And that's just not okay. And I, and I know there are probably plenty, especially women behind the scenes in writing rooms being like, this is just not okay. And being shot down. But I think that in particular, what happened with, with um, the most recent season of Game of Thrones, it just shows that when you have outrage, when people are like, you know what, that's fucked up and say something about it, it, it can actually change the way these characters yeah. are written. And so, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, to go back to to your question, like what are something the everyday citizen can do? I mean, write to these shows, tweet about these shows. And like those voices, I mean, Senator McCaskill's voice, you know, that made a difference. And they totally rewrote the next season because of viewer input. Yeah, because right. that can change things. I mean, I think it's... Uh, I, I love, I think what I love most about you guys is that you didn't just tweet and it's, and I know not everyone wants to give up their whole lives for a cause like you have, that's uh, more above and beyond what anyone is yeah. expected to do. But so like, I feel like we live in this age where everyone wants to appear like they're involved. So everyone has a Twitter account. Everyone has a Facebook. Everyone wants to use the hashtag, do the retweet and then go on with their regular uh, lives. Like they're fucking heroes. And you know, it's, everything is made into this huge deal. We were, Christine and I were talking before you got here. I think there's, I am, you know, definitely behind causes, but I think there's a real problem with like sexual assault being treated with the same amount of energy that like man spreading on the subway is treated when they're not equal problems by any means. And so sometimes people get fed up with, you know, you know, quote unquote, social justice warriors because of that. And I know Christine and I was, are certainly categorized as those people, as I'm sure you are. So it's like, you didn't just tweet. You didn't just go on Facebook. You studied. And I know it, se- it seems like you guys are probably smarter than the average person. Yeah. <laughs> so just really big nerds. <laughs> well, but educating yourself, I think, is should yeah. be a requirement of Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, educating yeah. yourself, looking at articles, looking at whose articles you're reading, what yeah. articles what you're reading. Yeah. Um, is Is your entire reading list all white men? And if yeah. it is, then you should probably change that. And, you know, talking about, you know, what you can do it's not a survivor's responsibility to tell their story if they want to great if they don't Mm -hmm. want to great and nobody should that should not be a burden that we're placing on people and I often feel like in activist spaces it comes across that way like if you don't tell your story or you're not doing something then it's not good enough and I really think that um is harmful um just because people some people don't want to and that's okay and it's just as valid I don't know why uh in the comedy in the New York City specifically the New York City comedy community there has been something speaking of social media justice where um one of one person this is not the only time this type of incident has happened where a person was raped by a comedian that we that the that the new york comedy community knows and they went to the police the police didn't do shit and uh so after trying like uh, exhausting every resource that she could legally she went on social media and she called the person out and that person was banned from the he he does not he lives here but he doesn't perform no one books him and what are your the, the criticisms that this person was met with or that everyone was commenting on this issue and a lot of people were like well, why don't you just go to the police what but or or you know facebook isn't for outing a rapist well but when you have when no one else when the people who are supposed to do something who the people who get paid to get up in the morning because their job is to do something to seek justice don't do anything this shit works. I saw it. I saw the guy get banned from every yep. comedy club in the city. And do you have any critiques of that or or pre- like what do you think of yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, I mean I think it, it's actually a great metaphor for where we are right now in our political scene, right? I mean, quite literally the channels of justice aren't working. I mean, you literally have a president that gets to decide what's real news and not real news. That gets to decide what what um, who gets appointed. I mean, who, who literally gets to fire someone from the Justice Department because, quote unquote, they're standing up for justice. Um, so who, I think you that, have a person who has admitted to sexual assault in the White House right now. Like this is this is, is a whole other trial? category. No, she dropped the charges. Oh, 
Okay. Yeah. So but again, not her, but yeah, again, like if you couldn't imagine death the the death threats, the rape threats that she she's got getting. Death threat, the per- oh yeah, for, yeah, for just I mean, reporting. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I can. and I and I, I think can. justice sucks. looks different, you know, for for everyone, and there those channels, you know, are are going to look different. And actually, here's here's a fun. Um, I say that so sarcastically. <laughs> cool, let's talk about <laughs> statistics. <something fun. laughs> um, that actually, people who report survivors who report to the police end up with worse mental health outcomes than those who do not report at all. Yeah, that makes... Uh, why, why is that? I, I see why, but yeah. can you explain just for people who... Yeah, so a lot of institutional betrayal, and that institution could be, you know, the police or it could be the school um, or, or any other institution, but they're blamed, they're shamed. This is a long and arduous process many times. You're having to recount and retell, you know, often the worst night of your life many different times. And a lot of police, even if they're great people, they're not trauma-informed always. And so what we know about the brain and trauma is often, you know, pieces come back in, in bits and it's not always linear. And then police will say, oh, you're lying because you didn't tell me this the first time. And so we just need to do, um, the good news about that is that because there is that gap that mental health outcomes are worse, there's a lot of room to improve and we can train police officers to be more trauma-informed. Well, I think what's, what's um, you know, to your point, I think the Brock Turner case is a perfect example of what happens when the proper channels don't work. I mean, the reason why Brock Turner's life is miserable right now isn't because of a judge, because the Everyone judge told them out. Name. It's because literally the whole world hates them. It's yeah. just like, it's almost like funny to me how like people in other countries that likely don't speak very good English, like know that kid, like, oh, that's that creepy kid from Stanford. And I mean, literally his face is just all over the internet and there's just no way to ever escape that. And, um, and I think, you know, sometimes Sometimes I, I I wonder like you know it's like oh like his life is ruined I used to be like oh this poor sweet boy that could have been an Olympian, um, you know like survivors literally have to deal with the ramifications of 20 minutes of action for sometimes the rest of their life, yeah. and these are things that are invisible. It can lead to missed auditions. It can lead to um, you know kind of missteps and taking GRE or LSAT. It can lead to um, broken relationships. It can lead to suicide attempts. It can lead to these incredibly high costs and medical bills. I think especially without Obamacare, like sometimes bankruptcy, like you can literally be bankrupted because of sexual assault. And these are things that you just Mm. literally never see. People don't see the ramifications of sexual assault. Like, and that thing, that's one of the things that also bothers me with the way Hollywood portrays it is that it's not just this one thing that literally just turns you into a hero. Like, it's not like all of a sudden overnight, like we became heroes. Like we dealt with a lot of shit. We dealt with falling outs. We dealt with broken relationships. We dealt with our parents not knowing what the hell we did, kind of still going through that phase. Um, but it's just, it, it's it's literally something that defines a lot of who you are. Even if you're not as public as we are, there are people who don't even, people don't even know that, that it went they went through it, but like have to deal with these day or ramifications. And like, I mean, imagine a world in which perpetrators actually had to pay for what they did. And I think that scares people because it, it, it means that they have to admit that the nice boy next door is rapist. And like, that is a reality that people cannot comprehend, they especially can. if that person mm-hmm. is a white male. Yeah. And it's, yeah. What, that is so odd to me. One, one thing I, I'm dying to ask both of you, especially, <sighs> I, your poise is I am in awe of because I get angry. Like when you brought up Reddit, I'm like, Reddit's a shithole for shitheads. Like, <laughs> because I, I know I've heard such, and I've seen things and read things and 
I get it very angry. I use hyperbolic language. It doesn't help my cause. It doesn't help. It doesn't help. But sometimes me. it I'm, just makes you feel good to it, be like, this fucking sucks. Yeah, it does. It does. But I am an example of I'm just as bad as that crazy fucking conservative dude going, you don't like Trump, then move to Mexico. Just I'm literally <laughs> and I and I I'm open to I'm really trying to be mindful of that. But how when Trump got elected, you were both sexually assaulted. You are a minority. You are women. How how does that not make you just have what? How what the fuck? I would lose my fucking shit. You, but you yeah. guys, take I mean, we do action. like on a daily basis. Yeah. Was, <laughs> but you're not paralyzed by your anger. No, and that's well, so amazing. I also think, and this might be shocking, but when <laughs> when the election did happen, I and I think I actually still am going through the stages of grief and then shock and denial mm-hmm. a little bit. But I I wasn't surprised. And I think there's a difference between yeah. being shocked and being surprised. I, sure. That yeah. even that aside, yeah. I I I was a little I was a little surprised. But you know, looking back, it makes sense. It's, it makes sense. It's just I'm a not... very ugly reflection of our culture that we elected a racist, misogynist person. It's just when I speak out against Trump like on social media, people, so many people don't get it. But how it's like you stop for a fucking second. Put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Like with all of your being, like, I, I don't understand how that's so far beyond someone's comprehension, why somebody could be so upset about our country's embarrassment of a president. Well, I mean, I think, I think, um, for me, I mean, I grew up in a red state. I we were oftentimes literally the only little blue dot in mm. our entire neighborhood. You're the um, blueberry, the little mm. blueberry. And I mean, like I said, like we, I was the only one who voted for Kerry in my little mock election. Yeah. If that's like not, you know, uh, it's like foreshadowing. I think that's yeah. like literally my whole life. So when I and then I went to school in North Carolina, another red state. Um, when we moved to LA, it was the first time that I'm like, oh my god, this is what it's like to live in the blue ocean. Like, really, this is what it's like. Same with DC. Like this is what it's like to like be in a world in which like there are people who understand you're not like the person who's like angry all the time, like waving her fists with like social justice waves. But um, you know, I, I think that because I came from this world that was very different. And I think it's also important to understand that I came from a red sea of Cubans, not the rednecks that you see in the media. Like Mm. Cubans are a strong Republican constituency and they're very interesting because I mean, they're all immigrants. I mean, quite literally these people who voted for Bush in our mock election. I mean, these are the kids of immigrants. These are people who the only reason they weren't considered quote unquote, illegal is because of the wet foot, dry foot policy or because of the Cuban Missile Crisis policies. Mm. I mean, you're talking about a very special law that's no longer on the books. So what is it going to look like now when all these people who voted for Trump, who oftentimes don't speak English, what happens when their community starts getting deported? And I don't we don't know what it's going to look like. I mean, honestly, our mayor just, you know, basically tossed out the idea of it being a sanctuary city. He was born in Havana, Cuba. The irony. Oh, uh, but wow. that that's Miami. So, I mean, I it's it's for a while. I just I mean, I hated going back home. I whenever I went to college, I'm like, I'm just never going back. And I was the only one in my entire class to literally leave. Okay, that was a big deal. And I just hated going back because I just didn't want to deal with the racism and the misogyny and the machismo. I just didn't want to deal with it. But then, like, as I got older, I realized that if I don't go back, if I don't realize that by staying in my little blue sea, like, I'm just kind of chamber, I'm part of the problem. And I think this is a big problem that, especially, um, 
millennial liberals need to realize is that like your little blue ocean might have more people, but it's not going to win the electoral college. And I think that was a big problem that we have this election is that we just forgot about the rest of the country. Like, yes, they have fewer people, but these are people who do not have the exposure, who do not have an education. And that's why people like Betsy DeVos are so dangerous because speaking of by keeping oh, no. these kids away from an education, we have, we have breaking, we have breaking news. Vice President Mike Pence cast a historic tie-breaking vote Tuesday oh, to confirm sure. Betsy DeVos. Oh, it was a tie. I told you it was going to be a tie. Yeah, it was. It's 51-50. So we have a new Secretary of Education. <sighs> Rip public education. But again, I will say that... And so, yes, I, it I, has I, been an incredible <laughs> amount of just, just activism when it comes to resisting Betsy DeVos. And that's something that I just like haven't seen. Like there was this woman in Utah who like sent a pizza, a pizza to Hatch's office because she couldn't get a hold of him. She just literally sent a pizza, a pineapple pizza With saying, a note, please like, don't vote for her. Uh, <laughs> this is, oh, and, and that's I'm, a creative way. Yeah. Very creative and I'm seeing a lot of people, like even conservatives, like my, my cousin, um, she is an elementary school teacher. And I mean, she's been completely outraged. And as she posted something, and I've literally never seen political posts on her timeline ever. Mm. Um, she's like, I never realized how quote unquote progressive I was until like this started affecting me personally. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of people, uh, like all these like regretful Trump supporters, like a lot of people are laughing at them. And don't get me wrong, I do laugh at some of them because some of them are really funny. But like, you know, <laughs> it, I think this is a big problem that we have is that we've become these elitists. Like oh, we yeah. laugh at these quote unquote rednecks and they're like they don't right. get it and like you see you're it's not so gonna stupid help anything. No, it's not it's, and, not. And it's I, gonna and, make them more mad and us more mad and, and they might a, be yeah. stupid but their vote is just they still can vote just as Absolutely. much if not more than ours yeah and I think it's just it's it's sad that we've become you know this like bi-coastal country where like only the two coasts matter and there are a lot of people literally in the middle like that we completely forget about like why is it that most of these progressive conferences are in one of the coasts like why is it that when there are sexual assault cases in the middle of the country nobody cares mm-hmm. Like, why is it that, like, when you have people trying to do something in these states, like, nobody gives them coverage? And that's a big problem, I think, that we have with progressive spaces, that we don't amplify the voices of people who are not being heard. Whether they're they're people of color, whether they're queer, or they're coming from, you know, inner city schools, we need to give these people a platform. And I think that we need to move away from, you know, kind of expecting to win elections and actually start fighting tough and being an accessible um, platform for folks that want to help us win these elections yeah. that we've lost. In the and, past. I, and I think for a lot of people that who were surprised, this was a wake up call. Yeah. Like maybe they didn't realize that we lived in a country that is still very deeply racist and sexist. And I think, you know, going back to your point, I think it's okay to be mad and it's okay not to be okay because what's happening is not normal. And resistance, you know, looks, looks very different, but this is not normal. And, you know, thinking back to different elections and having, you know, I've had plenty of times where the candidate who I voted for or wanted to win um, did not, but this feels whole other category of just not normal and different. And and so when other countries are marching on behalf of like anti-Trump, like marching in protest of Trump and, and, and honor of women's rights, like Australia. when we were in England, who gets oh, mad at Australia? Yeah. But it does feel good. It, if, when we were in London, I saw like a, a in the chalk, it said hashtag fuck Trump. And, and in my heart was like, oh, thanks, London. But although <laughs> you got to be able to talk to the other side, I get so torn between the person who voted for Trump doesn't respect women. Bleh, like, yeah, but that's not the way to go about it. And it's I, I go back and forth so many times because I know I know so many people who voted for Trump that I love and respect. And it's and I'm like, should I? I don't know. Should I? Tr- I don't want to. I know they shouldn't be treated like shit, but it's it's just a hard. 
I don't know. Do I do I block that out when I'm with them? My father voted for for Trump. He was a reluctant Trump voter. He wanted a Republican because he's always been a Republican. And it's so hard to respect that decision. But I have to, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you have to accept it. I don't think you have to respect it. Yeah. There's a, I mean, OK, so I, my, the worst part for me of, of Trump winning, I mean, besides him winning, like whatever, it's it sucks, but I'm not, you know, just fucking keep doing fighting the good fight kind of thing is the for me, the worst part was the infighting now among like progressives, among liberals, among feminists, because it seems now it's like being feminist or being liberal isn't enough for some people. It's like you have to be a, fem, a feminist or a liberal or whatever in the exact way that that the majority expects you to be kind of in the way that people expect you to be a certain kind of rape survivor. Like this is in their world. That's the ideal way to be a rape survivor, even though they are, they themselves are not rape survivors. Do you have any thoughts on that? Like in, I mean, every group has infighting. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I never really understood the whole Bernie love. I never, I mean, like I respect Bernie. I wasn't like literally like Coco for Cuckoo for Bernie. Bernie Like that. And it just wasn't me. And it's interesting. I feel like I'm, I'm in the age range. I mean, I'll be 25 next week, but um, you know, I never really understood why people loved him so much. Like even my cousin who ended up not voting in Florida. um, Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, he's like, I love Bernie. And then when he didn't, you know, when, well, oh, I didn't vote no. and yeah, you know, and, and, and my, my grandfather who does not speak English and is obsessed with Hillary Clinton, literally just looked <laughs> at him like, why are you in my house? Um, you know, and, and I think that for him, my grandfather is very different because I mean, he, it's took him a while to become a citizen and this is a big deal for him to like cast his, his vote. And, um, he was insulted over the fact that my cousin who was a citizen didn't exercise his right. Sure. Um, but I think for a lot of people, and and this is something that I've had to essentially unpack, because I was also very frustrated. I'm like, what the hell, people? Like, how the hell did we get here? Like, why didn't you vote? Like, you know, I get that Hillary's not perfect, but like, we've got to move on. And and I and I think that I needed to recognize a lot of people just, they don't live in the district. They don't see this every day. They don't see the bureaucracy that just simply, that's government. It's not going to be perfect. I mean, mm. Bernie's ideals were just simply not going to happen. Not so much because of Bernie himself, but because of the Congress that we've been working with literally right. for almost 10 years now. Um, I mean, this, this has been happening literally since, since 2010, 2010 was when this all started, when the tea party took over. I mean, they've been planning since 2010. Um, what I think the Republicans have done very well, the Democrats have not, is that they've evolved as a party. Um, they've evolved for the worst, but they've evolved as a party. And that's because they've listened to what key constituents have wanted. I mean, even if they're there, they're not the, like the majority of constituents. I wouldn't say that most of the Republican constituents are tea partiers, but they're the ones who show up because they're passionate um, over these certain points, whether it's abortion or it's religion or whatever it may be, that these are very key controversial issues that cause people to literally show up to the polls. And I think that's what Democrats have not been doing. Like they haven't really been listening to constituents. They've actually just been, they, they have really just been the establishment. They've literally been, but we're not Republicans though. Mm, and, and that's that just that's, not, that was not that's not winning elections like it's not not being a Republican isn't enough for me to vote for you I mean, but, I'll vote for you but most millennials would be like uh what makes you any better but wasn't Bernie mm-hmm. uh anti-establishment like yeah anti- and, and and believe me that term literally 
drove me crazy every single day. Um, but I, I understand what they're getting at. What I'm getting yeah. at is like when you look back at, at Hillary's responses, and there was a parody. We were looking at the Liminal Miranda episode of SNL, oh, and so where you have uh, Tim Kaine, and like he doesn't answer the question. He just says like, "Well, we're not Trump, though." Yeah, and that was literally that the was DNC. The that was quite literally yeah. the DNC. It was like we're not Trump, though. And if you think back to like the uh, the Obama elections, like there was a message. It was yes, we can. People showed up. Here was just. We're not them. And the amount of people that I talked to that were in my age range saying, I'm either voting for Bernie or Trump. I'm like, do you really hate <laughs> women or hate yeah. people that much? Like to have that conversation was really interesting. Just like not, not Hillary. Yeah. And I think also, I mean, people, I mean, myself included are very suspicious of the articles that they read. I mean, quite literally, I was like, I don't, is this real? Is it not real? Yeah, it like, I don't be. know what's going on. Unfortunately. And I think that the media are partly to blame um, for how we got here. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. so much free televising coverage. Trump's entire speeches. I mean, like this is. Ridiculous. I mean, the amount of coverage they gave to they a candidate. They were fascinated with them. I mean, billions of dollars worth of free advertising. And I mean, never at any point do they think like, this is probably a really bad idea. Like, why the hell is Kellyanne Conway still going on? Like, why? Like, there's just, you have <laughs> the Bowling Green Masters. I mean, <laughs> why are you giving her coverage? It's an alternative fact. And She's then literally you, think shaping about, news. you think about if the other side did this shit and how outraged. And I'm like, the hypocrisy just, well, will that yeah. ever die? I don't think it will. Well, that's the thing. I mean, Trump is like a child. I'm like, guys, just stop retweeting him. If you just ignore him, that'll like, that's a, that's a lot of the problem. Because any press really is good press. And like, that's yeah. been a problem throughout the whole and election. Because he's saying the crazier thing is like, is like, yeah, was he better, the better fit for the president? Absolutely not. But was he more entertaining than Hillary? Hell yes. And I'm coming, this, I'm like die hard. I have life stand, life-size standy of Hillary Clinton in my home since way before this election. <laughs> and like, was I more entertained by Trump? Yes, of course. But that's, I'm not trying to fucking pick someone who's going to entertain me. It's just ridiculous. But it's like, a lot of this goes back to like, why people win the presidential election for class president in high school. Who's promising unlimited cupcakes? Who's promising soda at lunch? Who's promising like these little minute things? People, most people don't care about these big issues if they're not going to affect them. They don't. They care about like how much taxes am I going to have to pay? And like, can I keep doing whatever the fuck I want to do? Yeah. And that's why I think, you know, we've got to really show up for midterm elections because things like this, the Senate vote this morning, 50-50, right? Um, And we had two... um, Republican senators actually vote um, in opposition to DeVos, but those midterm elections are so, so important. With midterm elections, when are, are they? When are they? 2018. How do we find out? 2018. And when, how do you find out? Is there a website that you could go to to find out, like, if you're a registered on, voter, where do I go? You can usually we get find an email? Like, uh, my ballot. Like, like yeah, you get info. If find my ballot. If okay. they're a registered voter. And like, I, I mean, for instance, I just went to the DMV to change my state of residency after 13 years, you know, to New York. Um, <laughs> I, figured, I figured maybe it was Jersey. time from Jersey. Uh, <laughs> and then, well, because I just got my own place. Um, and so when you do it, at least in New York, you can sign up one fell swoop at the DMV. Like they, they really make it as easy as fucking possible for you. Oh, well, that's it's New York. Not, yeah, it's not everywhere for sure, yeah. but it's like take, you right. know, and we always say we are spoiled Liv- living in New York. It's the best. It seems like the worst place to be like poor, but it's really the best place to be poor or not have the resources you need because they're presented to you constantly in big cities, like constantly. Um, mm, what do we have? We, yeah. Yeah. We can't, we have some more time. Uh, I just have, I, sorry, I keep going back to other things, but I, I have more questions about it. So going back to Brock Turner, we're just using him as an, him as an example of like rapist extraordinaire. That's what I'm just using. Well, him as. The, thing, the thing is, though, he's not um, 
any different than any number of cases I see come across my desk every single day. And it's so interesting that people were so outraged that this could possibly happen. But But it happens. I think that they were moved and they were like, oh, fuck this. That's crazy. And then. That's what, yeah. Well, that's my thing with like using him for the poster boy uh, for for rape. No, I'm not saying that he doesn't fucking deserve it. I'm not saying that this guy doesn't doesn't suck ass. However, do you he think so much ass? Do you think it's like with? Do you think you know rapists deserve any sort of rehabilitation? Do you think the the proper justice this ki- this guy his life is ruined unless he changes his name? Which if I was like a sassy judge, I wouldn't allow him to. But like, yeah. <laughs> it, you know, he, his name is is. Tarnish for good. Anyone who is, you know, our age or older is never going to accept him, never going to hire him, never going to want to marry him, get be associated with him. So do you do you think that's the proper is that is that the proper punishment for the crime? You know, I, I think that there, there, there are different ways of looking at this, and there are different philosophies. Like, there are some people who are very kind of like tough on crime, and like, you know, this guy should rot in jail. Right. Um, I do think that this is a spectrum. I think there are different types of sexual assault, and, and there was actually an episode of Law and Order, ironically enough, an episode that was kind of about our case, which was kind of weird watching, and we didn't know it was going to happen. Uh, but it was called Girl Dishonored, and there, and it talked about this frat. And um, there were a couple of different perpetrators. And there was one where Olivia Benson was like, oh, you know, this guy's only done it once. Why is that? And then when talking to this guy, they're like, why did you do this? And he's like, well, you know, I was pressured if I wanted to join this frat that, you know, I had to get a girl drunk. And there are some people, there are some cases that are like that, where it's someone who is kind of crumbling under societal pressure. I mean, it doesn't excuse the behavior, but like the likelihood of this person doing it is probably not very high. I think there are people like Brock Turner who like clearly was very calculated, probably did it more than once. Okay. Um, yeah. and, mo- and most perpetrators repeat are offender. repeat offenders. Yeah. Who and do I, it with I impunity. Think we should look at it that way um, because there are some people who just simply cannot be rehabilitated. I don't think that Jury Sandusky could ever be rehabilitated. Yeah. Correct. I think yeah. there are people that are like that, that, um, you the know. The guy in the dock, though, that his face was blurred out, the guy who raped the rapist, I was really, I thought what he had to say was good. I, I was like, wow, he seems like he's not going to rape anybody i don't know it seems like he really turned around but i feel weird saying that because i don't want to give him any credit but also at the same time what if he did I think we need to give people credit just as much as it's important to believe rape survivors and just just fucking believe them. I think it's also important to have faith that we can rehabilitate people. I don't think throwing people away, uh, no matter what they did, is ever a great response to any kind of behavior. And I think this is the bigger problem that we have. Like, what do we do with violent criminals? And I think especially um, if these happen to be really really young kids, right? Um, When I, I was in a juvenile law class when I was in college and we had a person come in and he used to work with um, sex offenders that were juveniles. And I asked a question, like you were working with kids, like you can't, you know, send kids in prison for, for, for life. You can't quote unquote, execute them um, for these crimes. So like, what is the solution? I mean, these kids literally are going to be adults and they're going to go out into the world. Like, what do you do? And he's like, you know, I keep my, my uh, nieces really close. And I'm like, I mean, it's right. like literally like not giving me any hope. And I think, it's, <laughs> right. no, and I think also Keep your daughter's just, inside. Right. Okay, I mean, like, yeah, what does uh-huh. this tell you? This tells you that like with a population that is a perfect experiment, you have people that you literally cannot put in jail for life and you can't even figure out what to do with kids. And there's actually a documentary called um, Girlhood that's on Netflix and it follows these two girls. Um, oh, you have. Yeah. I mean, I actually really like the documentary because it, was, it follows these two girls. Hard. One, it's one that was yeah, sent yeah. to juvie for attempted murder, one that had a completed murder. 
And I mean, one, you're going into this like, holy crap, these like 12 year old kids like killed people like what? Um, but again, you can't execute someone if they're a juvenile and you can't put them in prison for life. So you follow these two girls and, and the one who actually ended up killing someone, you know, she recognizes that like, she was terrified. She grew up, you know, she was an inner city kid. Um, she feared for her life. She was being bullied. And like in the end, like she turns out all right, ends up going to college and like, I mean, this girl's never going to kill someone again, likely not. I mean, she did it because these situations, and I think that we need to look at it that way. Like there are people who are oftentimes a product of their surroundings, especially when it comes to sexual assault, like either they're in a gang situation or they're part of a bigger group that they've been pressured to do this or they're victims themselves. A lot of people who are perpetrators are actually victims themselves and, and they don't, it's almost like they're reclaiming something. It doesn't excuse the behavior, but had they gotten help for that in the first place, like they likely might not have done this. Yeah. yeah. And also with with the way rapists get punished, it also speaks to when we were talking about earlier, the, uh, if a university doesn't punish a person for sexually assaulting a student, then the likelihood of, oh, if that question comes up in someone's mind, if they're weighing their options, they're uh, I would imagine they would use that as a reason to do it. Well, I'm not going to get punished. So, well, well, right. And, and right now we have, I, I would say, two broken systems. We have the university system, um, which exists for many different reasons. And then we have the criminal justice system. And their survivors can go to both, neither, um, one or the other. But they're both just so fundamentally flawed right now. And you think about justice and who's more likely to get punished if you're not privileged. So if you're a person of color, man of color, if you are not wealthy. Imagine if Brock Turner was not who he was. Mm-hmm. I think he would have probably gone to jail for much longer. Yeah, they've cited cases of, of young black men being accused of Absolutely. the same thing and, and being found guilty and serving so much more. And we, and we can't talk about sexual assault and, and violence without talking about race and racism and yeah. how um, deeply seated that issue is in the criminal justice system. Yeah. It seems like more like we need to talk about athletes, though, because it seems like no matter what color you are, if you're an athlete, you're getting you're free. Jameis Winston, I mean, obviously. An athlete or anybody in power, it's amazing yeah. to you're me. A singer. And, you a know. singer, um, sure. the president of some club, of an acapella group, a fraternity, like any position of power on campus. And it's really interesting to me to think about, you know, some of the schools that we've worked with are big name schools that you would know and you would expect, like, they would rally around their quarterback. But that's still the same thing that happens at this tiny little school that you've never yeah. heard of, didn't even know they had a football team, yeah. but they still protect this athlete or this person with power on campus. It's really interesting. Yeah, one of my favorite parts of the documentary was that was when they kind of talked, they only talked about it for like a, a minute or so about how these athletes at colleges, and the same thing kind of happens in high schools if you have a team that's doing really well. My high school football team was certainly, oh my God, Jesus, wow, the hours I wasted baton twirling at that shit. Um, <laughs> but now you could twirl a baton, Corinne. Ruined so many Thanksgivings for me. Um, anyway. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, but, uh, and I was like, these guys suck. Um, this is for nothing. Uh, but because it's so young, you know, you have these guys who are so young, not even fully developed humans being treated uh, as celebrities, which fucks, fucks you up. Ego. It it fucks you up. It's, it's not. So, I mean, I think it's also to look at like, stop treating athletes like you're not celebrities. I've always gotten pissed. I'm like, how come the boys play football and they're the Kings of the school. And then the girls are just on the sidelines going rah, rah. I know cheerleading takes more. It takes physical ability and there's skill involved, but like, it just feels fucking come on. Everyone's like so about the football players and the cheerleaders. Like you can do it. Like they don't fucking need. Well, I don't know. We don't like think about even yourself. even yeah, even like the football coaches. And I think a lot of it starts there. If you paid attention yeah. to what's happening at at Baylor right now in Texas, and they had an entire 
program like many schools do where they have women who are hostesses essentially which means they have sex with the players and this is encouraged yeah. and this is how you know they recruit people um to come to their programs and what it's just the fuck? yep are they getting paid okay. <laughs> probably not and that's the icing on the yeah, cake yeah i hope they are no they're getting assaulted so yeah one of the not things good. what do you guys um so we have to wrap up soon but what do you guys what do you what do you want to do what do you want for your future ideally individually uh what do you both each want what what's your ideal job what's your ideal position do you want to work at a college do you want to work for the government what do you want Hmm. Not to not for change, but like, yeah, where do you want to be? You as women, people, humans, what does that look like? Yeah. So I think that um, like another 25 year old anywhere else in the world, um, I think I'm at the point in my life now where, you know, I had to grow up really fast and everything I thought I was going to be. I don't know if I'm going to be anymore. And I think that especially this election has made me really rethink, like, am I doing enough? Um, you might laugh at me. Like, is she doing you enough? Know, you're doing a lot. Um, no, but I, I think I think there's a lot more learning to do. And I and I think I want to go back to grad school. But I think I, I kind of want to look at, um, you know, kind of other areas like I would love to work more more with Hollywood to like actually look at telling consulting yeah right the these good survivor stories that can actually impact the way our youth see sexual violence see sex sex in general and and actually do what we're not able to do because of these school boards that are censoring this you know kind of healthy sex conversation but also I mean in general like I want to be a 20 something and that's something that I couldn't do when I was in college that maybe I'll get to do my mid-20s maybe yeah yeah because you carry a lot of responsibility yeah, my 21st birthday, I filed a federal complaint. And I forgot it was my 21st birthday. <laughs> we, my were, we, were, we were on Skype. You friend. filed a federal complaint Not my on your 21st. Somebody else, like another case. Like we had already worked on another case. So you assisted with a federal complaint. Yeah, and I, my friend knocked on the door. She's like, dude, what the fuck? It's 21st birthday. Like it's the one day you can get wasted and you're like, not. Like, yeah, like leave. Totally, yeah. No, yeah. we're just on, <laughs> totally on the computer. So like, yeah. that's a great metaphor for like quite literally all of my birthdays since. So like maybe my that's 21st so birthday, yeah. I'll be like, you know what? I'm going to decide to be a 20 something better late than never. 25 well, is on the up and up anyway. That's when it starts to get good again. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> Hollywood people hire to consult. Yeah. What about you? Um. So I get to ask this question a lot. Like, do you just want to, you know, we have a nonprofit, End Rape on Campus. Do you just want to run that forever? End Rape on Campus. What's the website? The link? EndRapeOnCampus.org. Right? Yeah. Okay, cool. And so like, you know it's legit. Yeah, yeah, so it's legit. Not dot org. <laughs> but I, I don't want to be in the nonprofit world forever. And I don't want to work just on this one issue. And I think it's going to be a thread throughout my life, obviously. Um, but I care a lot about other issues, too, um, like, like education and immigration and Islamophobia and um why we don't have more women of color in the Senate, like all, all of these other issues that um, I want to work on. And so I, I'd like to pass on um, the organization to like younger women and hopefully like pass that torch and relight it without setting the whole building on fire. Um, but possible. like, but also like we were talking about um, at the very beginning, you know, just really learning from particularly other women and other older feminist. Um, you know, we did a lot of research on Title IX in the 1970s and 1980s and folks that were doing that back then. So sort of like standing on their shoulders, but also trying to contribute in some other way. And so I think eventually I'd like to run for public office. Um, I'd like I to write another 
book. Thank you. I will. I will call you. Um, I'll move <laughs> to wherever the fuck you are, and, and we can register. And we can yeah. register. I'll go to door to door and hand out registration forms. Yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> we need people like you. We yeah. need you. And so, <laughs> yeah, so hard. I, I, yeah, in North Carolina. So I am from North Carolina, which is a red state right now, and I do feel some sort of obligation to go back and hopefully try to make it a little bit um, better, mm-hmm. but or, not not right now. I think I do um, want you know, a year or two just to maybe go back to school and, and still do this really hard, intense work, but maybe not just focus on sexual violence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then in closing, did you, you made it, you made kind of like a side comment before that you didn't like the hunting ground, the way it turned out. Is that, how would you have changed? Did it, you, really? did you like it? Um, no, it's, it's, it's not that I didn't like it. It's just that I think that, um, for a very long time, it was like the only thing we were associated with. Sure. And I think very much like anything that is kind of a cornerstone of any movement, um, I think it's dangerous to think that that's the only narrative that exists. And one of the major critiques that that the hunting ground received was that it didn't center diverse voices. And there were diverse voices in the film. It just didn't focus on how those populations are more likely affected. And I mean, that's just it. pretty much every high profile story involves a white girl oftentimes accusing an athlete, especially an athlete of color. Mm-hmm. And that's dangerous because it portrays victims as being, you know, kind of innocent, sweet white women and perpetrators as being brutish black men. And I mean, these cases do happen. I mean, black men can be perpetrators, but they can also be victims and they can also be wrongfully convicted. And there's a big problem that we have with wrongful convictions of black men, especially for sex crimes. Yeah. Um, and I think that that was something that was a big thing that we butted heads with, with our director and producer that we really wanted them to talk about. I mean, just one little snippet of, of race and especially sexuality and looking at how queer people are also targeted, not just um, you know, for sexual assault, but also harassment and suing from that. Um, and I think that we've, we've, especially with, with when we toured with the film, we talked a lot about, you know, kind of um, these shortcomings of telling a, a narrative that is very concise. But I think it's also a metaphor for where we are now with politics, right? Um, that's a lot of criticism that the DNC also received is that even though it, it did pay lip service, to these populations, I think that we could be doing more. I think that especially progressive spaces that have nothing to lose. I mean, you have a, a, a documentary that had that was very well well funded that got a slot at Sundance. I mean, it was an opportunity for us to talk about stories that are just simply never told. And I think that in the Q and A's, we did it. But I think for a lot of people that, did, that don't get the bonus features of the DVD, um, these are conversations that we just never have. And I yeah. think what was really great too is that the hunting ground reached a lot of conservative audiences. So even though it wasn't perfect, I mean, it didn't have like this perfect intersectional lens, if it can get people into the conversation, I think that that in itself is invaluable. And I, yeah, yeah, I I think it was an absolutely invaluable documentary. And like uh, what Andrea was saying too, I, there there are definitely things I would have changed or would have done differently, but there's also only so much you can do in 90 minutes and, and 113, 113 minutes. (laughs) I should know this, right? Um, But at a certain point you have to kind of like pick an angle as a filmmaker. (laughs) Right. What are you doing? Cause you know, I interned for Michael Moore. A lot of people are like, well, I hate Michael Moore because you know, he, I'm like, well, you know, he's, it, it is a documentary. So it needs to have like reality in it, but it's also, so still a movie, so it needs to be entertaining and have right. some kind of a flow. It can't be like, well, on this hand, and then also on the other hand, like it can't just be this perfect representation right. but on it, both it, sides. We just didn't have a 101 before. There were lots yeah. of like smaller documentaries or more academic ones, but there wasn't 
you know, a story. And so I think for that reason, you know, just to have something somebody can watch, a survivor can say, wow, you know, this person believes me or somebody who's new to the issue can become educated on it. Um, it's just invaluable. And then after that, that's actually one of the reasons um, that we did write our book, We Believe You. And in that we're 36 very different survivor narratives. And most were um, either folks of color or LGBT um, identified. And just really, I think one of the things that we have the responsibility now to do is really highlight other voices and amplify those that um, are more mar- marginalized historically. Can we donate money? Is NRAPE on campus accept donations? Is yes. Any- okay. It's, it's Where- a nonprofit. Okay, you can, there's a huge donate button on the <laughs> website. I will judge the shit out of If you are able to donate, please, nrape.campus. NRAPE. What is it? And rape on campus. And rape on campus.org. And rape on campus.org. And the book is called We Believe You. We Believe You. Yeah, because a lot of people message us and like, how can I donate to guys? We fucked. We don't need money anymore. Thank God for the please first time ever. Donate. So a better way to please, help please, us please. out is by helping the causes that we feature on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So things that like this, because I feel like people are always emailing us and trying to give us like Chipotle gift cards. We don't need those. No, <laughs> I will take some. I will take. Some yeah. Money. Send them your send, way. Send, uh, <laughs> send money to uh, and rape on campus campus.org instead we would really appreciate that um all right thank you thank so you. much for sitting down oh my gosh, with us thank you for having us this was awesome yeah a real nice example of uh, actually doing something which is very satisfying for me uh thank you so much for listening to guys we fuck the anti-slut shaming podcast we'll talk to you next friday today's episode of Guys Who Fucked. Third Love bras were developed using thousands of real women's measurements and range from sizes from AA to G, including signature half cup sizes. Third Love stands behind their product so much that they're willing to let Guys We Fucked listeners try out their bra from their 24-7 collection for free. Just pay $2.99 for shipping. Go to thirdlove.com slash GWF to get started today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com.